What the Hex, your source for Warhammer Underworlds in under 30 universal deck bearings to strengthen your favorite warband or lead you to something new. I am Skylar, uh, an agent of elves and mad mob. <laughs> With me today, you'd think Davey would be doing this intro right now, but I've stolen the wheel and the agent of lost and broken warbands is with me today. Davey, how are you doing? Yeah, it was a total daylight robbery. He rolled that hammer and crit and, and snatched it away from me. Uh, Always I'm, rude. I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing good. Uh, good good uh, morning, day, evening, night, wherever you're listening from. Excellent. Yeah, so we actually start the cast with one of those rolls. And the only reason <laughs> you haven't heard my voice before now is I just roll that bad. <laughs> And with us as well uh, is an agent of chaos, Brian. How are you doing? Sup, sup. I'm doing well, as well as I can be from the Shadow Realm. <laughs> Ooh, stuck in the last realm. Awkward. All Just right. a night shift. <laughs> Very fair. Very fair. Um, so for context today for our listeners, today is July 17th. Uh, we've recently seen the first teases uh, from the Warhammer preview of an incoming plague pack. Woo. And there is excitement amongst the ranks. Yeah. Um, Brian, uh, care to jump in why you are excited in particular there? More raddies, and my wife has a strong fondness for rats. She always grew up with rats, so uh, going to at least have to take an interest in them. And I'm curious to see how her... Uh, uh, appreciation for the game. She's been playing the uh, claw pack this whole time and just aggro. So I'm curious how these guys function and if that's something that's going to grow her engagement with the game. Love it. She has been one of our regular cameos of the league comes out every other Thursday with Brian and does indeed enjoy those rats. Uh, also on the news, fresh off the press today, um, is a new version of the starter set. Yeah, what? <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> Sepulchral Guard versus Far... Nope, nope, that was the last one. Uh, versus Iron Soul Condemners in, in a new box. Yeah. How, how does this happen? I don't... This is, like, really confusing to me, so... Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we, uh, we have no information to anyone else about this. Um, we... Are seeing the pictures we don't know if the condemners are totally reworked or if they've got a i don't know but uh might be might be having a lot of sepulchral guard figures in my in my uh, completion collection yeah. Yeah. yeah same the tokens are the same i don't know if the boards are the same it's just the one picture so what it does look like is according to the warcom article that it still will include two rule books so that um oh, makes me happy uh, yep, because nice. I imagine that second rule book is um, the walkthrough or the guided playthrough. Mm, oh, right. um, I thought it was. I thought it was one for each. So that would be surprising to me. Um, that you know, so quick of a turnaround, they did one for both you know Iron Soul Condemners and Farstriders. Mm. You know, versus the Spock Regard had to write two different scripts, battle yeah. reports there. But uh, I hope they did. I hope those are in the box. Uh, it looks like the Iron Soul Condemners, at the very least, have new backs. Um, and their fighter cards are within the new framework. New um, format. Yep, yep, that we're familiar with on fighter cards. Um, possibly then reworked art 
because I believe the previous condemners had the, in fact, I, you know, for sure, um, they had the smaller frame window, kind of that blur into the center of the card um, was how their art was highlighted before. So, you know, potentially new art there as well. Um, and if that's the case, yeah, that's that's definitely a purchase from this guy over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, this looks like the box that's going to be in those general stores like uh, Barnes and Noble, etc. Uh, so they've got, I see the, what is that, the blue tower sticker on there to... Yeah, so that's the Dice Towers Seal of Excellence. I noticed that yeah. as well. Um, I'm a pretty heavy board gamer, so um, if you aren't a heavy board gamer, you might not be familiar with the Dice Tower, but they're really big in that space, and their Seal of Excellence is um, a highly regarded um, entry uh, in the board gaming space. So that's really good to see. Cool. Um, so yeah. that means that they've already got a chance to, um, review this box or at least, um, this underworld starter set in general, um, and was able to pass that accolade along. Little, little possible pro tip for you. Uh, if, if this is anything like when, um, what was it? Uh, the dread came out, uh, that, like had a listed street date, but then it was like available for mail order, like a month or more before that street date on, um, oh. on what, uh, what am I thinking of, uh, Barnes and Noble or whoever's website. Hmm. Um, and I don't know if that will accidentally happen again, but, uh, just keep your eyes peeled because it might, who knows? Who knows? Hmm. All right. Well, today's topic is going to be about universal rivals decks. Uh, more on that shortly, but to give you a primer before we get on to that, we are going to be talking about uh, what each deck brings to both Nemesis and Championship, as well as Warbands. You might pair with them. Before getting into that, uh, we have a lot to get into today, so we're going to move on to community shoutouts. Uh, starting with a call out to our Mad Town Throwdown Q3. Uh, that is our um, local tournament that we host here at Noble Knight Games in Madison slash Fitchburg. Um, it's technically just on the outside and in Fitchburg. Um, and that is going to be held on Sunday, August 13th. It's going to be a championship format, best of three. Uh, we do have a page built out on our website uh, covering the event. So please feel free to check that out. We'd love to see you there if you can make it. Does anybody else have any shout outs today? Uh, I want to put a shout out to uh, Console, who uh, provided uh, feedback on the episode that Phil and I did with the uh, Bat Rep. And it was that uh, it was some some cool uh, detailed feedback specifically where, you know, he had some uh, uh, a point out like a, a if not a misplay, then at least a, a, a point of discussion that we had wrong about how a particular card was played. Uh, Mazig's Magefish. Uh, to be clear, uh, it sounds like. Uh, it sounds like we were talking about it like it could be used with any spell. It can only be used on a spell action or a spell attack action. That's that go on guard or heal one, uh, which is a which is a significant power shift on that card. Uh, but then also had like some really thoughtful insight on like how to play that matchup better. Uh, and I really um, having having played and then edited and listened to, I I'd done a lot of thinking about the uh, about the matchup and and so that he was able to kind of provide that, that insight. You're like, Oh man, this is awesome. Um, and it made me really want to kind of, uh, go, 
go hammer on Phil's door and say, we're, we're playing this one again. Give me another shot. So, um, I, uh, I appreciate that. He was specifically talking about using, uh, using some counter punch with, uh, uh, with, uh, the bearer of the, of the block. Um, he's a, he's a pretty decent attacker and you can be more risky with him because that warband actually, especially in the build we did has uh, multiple ways to resurrect either with terminus, uh, providing a kill with their in faction resurrect or with partial resurrection. Um, and that is, uh, I don't play a lot of death warbands, uh, most of the time. Um, certainly not ones with as, as, uh, wide open or resurrect mechanic. I've got some reps with ghouls. Um, but, uh, that was, I was like, Oh yeah, that is a great way. And that's, you know, that's a kind of, it's kind of thinking of a matchup that I, I, like there's micro decisions, which is like, what do you do in the moment? And those are, then there's macro decisions. And that feels like a sort of macro decision, like how you set yourself up. Um, and it is, it can be, sometimes it can be tougher to, to, uh, really, uh, internalize those lessons. And so I, I really appreciate that he was able to kind of just listen and, and say like, Hey, here's, here's a hot tip for you. And I think it's a good one. I think so too. And as always, absolutely love getting feedback on our episodes. Um, always great to see and always great to look back on too and shout out like this. Uh, Brian, any community shout outs? Yep. I'll uh, just shout out a regular shout out of ours, the Battle Mallet Nemesis Deck Library. Uh, the Battle Mallet podcast has their own website with a Nemesis Deck Library. We'll be talking a lot about Nemesis and don't need to tread over all the same ground. If you want really in-depth on each of these decks, they cover those very well. Uh, highly recommend their podcast and their deck library. Agree. And you'll hear uh, another note about the Battle Mallet from me a little later on. All right. Now let's jump into what the hacks has been going on with each of you. So uh, I'll kick off um, right now. Uh, we actually just wrapped our local league. Uh, this is the fourth flight since we moved to Noble Knight Games and the fourth flight with the uh, league system we kind of kicked off uh, as we uh, entered that location. And uh, we had a blast. We had we saw so many new players. I'm going to bring up some stats real quickly. I believe we had eight, yeah, eight cameos. Um, and cameos is the affectionate term that I have for players that uh, showed up and participated in the league in a way uh, where they weren't actually in the standings, but were still interacting with their community, enjoying the game. And uh, I'm always happy to see a high count of cameos. We also had 10 players uh, go all the way through the league system. And by that, I mean uh, participate in the seven weeks of points uh, up until the eighth week, the finals. And... um, a grueling final game between uh, Brian and Josh. That was an Ethelum's Pandemonium Mirror with completely different strategies coming in and a extremely tight and close game with Brian coming out as our victor. Um, so congratulations to Brian on Wee. taking this league and getting up on our wall of fame that we host uh, for the four leagues that we've done so far um reigning uh paven with soul raid alex with worm spat davy with the cunning crew and now joining the ranks uh brian with the pandemonium kind of kind of fun that we don't have any repeats in there huh agreed 
Yeah. Um, another thing uh, we do is we focus on unique warbands in the league, and we saw 42 played out of 51 warbands. Uh, one of the cool things about this, too, is it gives um, other individuals in the league, maybe those who don't necessarily um, care about how high they climb in the league but still want to be participants, uh, or those who want to see how far they can get with a variety of warbands. It gives them a different way to engage with the game. Uh, so I really love that addition to our league, and I want to shout out the, the individual that made the most unique warbands played and that was Ben Harris at nine unique war bands over oh, man. seven weeks. Nice. <laughs> All right. So, anyway. I had to be. I had to be in there. I'm, I'm going to beat you next time, Ben. <laughs> you were at eight. <laughs> you, you, you and I both, I believe, were actually right. at eight uh, unique war bands played there. Most unique so. war bands would be a neat uh, metric or milestone to shout out slash uh, make a goal for each like uh just highlighting that person each league mm. a, yeah, as yeah. well as like painting and uh best score but um because oh, playing, playing a wide variety of warbands can be extremely valuable in getting your better comprehend or better comprehension of the game and interactions it's yep. really makes for uh stronger players agree there's um Two more league um, shout-outs I want to make real quick, and then I'll pass the torch on what the heck has been going on. Um, and that is, I wanted to shout-out Alex, who played the most counted games over um, these seven weeks. That was 20 games. Um, so that is, you, you know, over seven weeks, you're seeing 14. That means he played an additional six games to help other players out, oh, cool. um, to help see them getting to, you know, complete their counted games for that week. So... Uh, shout out to you, Alex. Um, you helped make the league a better place um, by making sure that people were able to get their counter games in. Um, Strong so really support. appreciate that. Absolutely. And uh, an up-and-comer, Nate, who I wanted to shout out uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, Nate, this is his first league, and he had the most singular warband reps. He's currently um, tuning his skills with the Crimson Court. Saw 12 games with the Crimson Court. Um, and the other reason I wanted to shout out Nate is because he is excited to bring two more uh, friends into the fray and see uh, if they want to go down the path of our next league. Sick. Agree. So on that note, um, Brian, what has been going on with you? What, what the heck has been going on with you? Someone take this wheel away from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, big in 40k so a lot of excitement going on there with 10th edition um on the hobby front i've had a lot of uh eight hobby add problems uh, i've got a lot of like nearly finished projects that i haven't been able to complete i'm happy to say i finally got one of those done and i can move on to painting a new warband um so looking to make that pick for potentially winning a i want i want that golden demon card out of the uh, prize pack or the organized play kit. Um, but finally get some more underworlds hobby progress done. Um, finally beat the hobby ADD, uh, bug that I'd had. Excellent. Davey, how about you? Uh, my, my big one is, uh, a, a particular cameo that, uh, showed up in the last week. Um, my, uh, my son Emmett has, uh, been getting interested in the game. We played through the starter set. Uh, we got through one round with the script and he was like, get this out of my face. I'm going to play this myself. Um, and then, uh, he's been my dice roller for 
a couple of weeks. And then this last week, uh, when we were getting ready, he's like, Hey, can I uh, play on my own? I was like, well, you know, you can, you can show up and see if somebody we, you know, it's, it's a kind of explain, like it's a, it's a community, it's a social thing. So if, um, you kind of explain like, Hey, I need you to go, go slow and, uh, have some patience. But if somebody's willing to do that, you can do that. And, uh, Nate, uh, did that, did that with them. They, they played, uh, they played to, uh, a nine, eight score. Uh, Emmett had a, had a narrow loss and, but he had a great time. And, uh, I was, I was proud of him for, uh, willing to be playing against somebody he didn't know, you know, like, uh, instead of just, uh, sitting and, and, uh, playing it safe. So it, it's pretty cool to have him in the mix. Um, and he's, uh, I'll tell you, he's a little bit excited for the, uh, plague rats. I, he's kind of excited for anything new. Like this is, this is a good game for him because he likes trying out new things and finding new interactions and all that sort of thing. So love it. And awesome. for the listeners of the last episode, uh, he managed to save the <laughs> Starblood Stalkers yeah. from staying off the Unique Warbands playlist. Yeah, Phil Phil owes him like a big debt of gratitude. So, <laughs> uh, small aside about that is, I told Brenna when she was out there, I was like, "Oh, Emmett's looking for a game," and she's like, "Oh, I I don't know." And I don't know if I, I can teach the game well enough. And then later on, she's like, if I lost to him, I don't know if I would have been able to take it. I was like, <laughs> well, it's Davy's kid. So he knows things. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, in his blood. He's, he's a savage me at unmatched. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's, we, we play a household tournament. He and, uh, his sister and me, um, kind of set up a, a bracket with multiple picks and then, and go through it. And he's, uh, He's a uh, a vicious one with Sherlock Holmes and uh, Little Red. So I believe awesome. it. Yeah. Ooh, Little Red. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Between Skates and him picking Little Red uh, <laughs> there, oh, I, he's got good taste. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. On to our main topic, tons of decks. Uh, yeah. And specifically, we have nine Universal Rivals decks in the scene right now. That is uh, from the start of Harrow Deep. Uh, to the end cap of Weird Hollow. So that includes uh, as well here the Nether Maze and the Gnarl Wood. Um, by the way, Gnarl Wood and Weird Hollow being GW Games Workshop and WH Warhammer, it's like, okay, okay, yeah. we, we, we get it. What is this season? Like, is this code? Are you trying to tell us that you make Warhammer Games Workshop? We know. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, my crazy tangents aside, this is what happens when I get the wheel. Um, what we're going to be breaking down today for you is we're going to break down each deck uh, one by one that's available. What we're going to be doing and covering our goals here, our mission statement, is we're going to give you thoughts on why you'd consider a deck when deck building. Uh, essentially what the deck brings to the table in our minds uh, and where that best fits into a game plan provide you with some Warman pairings as well. And we're going to make sure that that deck building and considerations includes both Nemesis and Champs. So as you can imagine, that is a lot to cover. So we're going to try to do so at a clip. Um, and as a result, um, there's going to be a lot of cards flying around. Now, generally, we would um, take a beat to read through each card description. Uh, that isn't going to be something that we're going to be able to do today. Um, if you would like to look up a card, I recommend um, jumping onto your uh, favorite deck builder. A favorite of mine is Underworld's DB, and following along on any cards that are brought up. Another way to, or like an easy way to do that as we're talking, is 
Underworlds DB actually features a Rivals decks section. If you go to their website, uh, there's a deck lists tab and you can hit Rivals decks. The nice thing about this is not only does it list out the different decks that we'll be talking about today, but if you click them, it will bring up a pre-populated 32 card deck build with those. And that doesn't overwrite any deck build you currently have on the workbench. So you can actually have these tabs open while deck building. Uh, so definitely recommend that as a resource, uh, both you know as you're deck building as well as for this episode. Yeah, this is a hack I wish I had uh, used before because I have definitely made a mess of some deck builds because I've been trying to be, be a little fancy with my filters. <laughs> Same though. <laughs> it's, it took too long to realize that uh, this had evolved um, as a uh, tab to, to offer this. So um, shout out also, to MCRAT, uh, the Discord user that manages uh, everything Underworlds DB. Um, continued amazing service to the community. Absolutely. And also shout out, we do have a card by card commentary from us on our website. If you Ooh, want that. Good plug. And that is the mortal realms. com, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a dot com. <laughs> yep. Uh, we know our website. All right. So um, to dig into it, we've um, kind of given, uh, there's nine decks, three of us. Uh, if you can follow that breakdown, there are going to be three of us uh, kind of taking the lead uh, on three different decks. Um, so I'm going to kick off uh, with the first deck, and that is going to be Void Cursed Thralls. Mm. So... This is one of the newer decks on the block, and it is newest. quite interesting. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It is the newest deck on the block and the last one of the Weird Hollow uh, season. We're only seeing three Universal Rivals decks this season instead of the four um, that was kind of set as a precedent from uh, Narwood. Um, Future will kind of showcase if that's going to be the norm, you know, if we're going to we'll see, see what happens, right? Yeah. Three or four per season. Um, or if it's going to kind of always be, you know, a fluctuation, but between those two counts, um, but it is the end cap here and Voikers Thrall kind of as an overview um, is do is playing the game differently um, than mm. any other deck before. And it's asking you to do some, some rather weird with a Y things with your deck um some of the notes as i was kind of reviewing the void cursed uh going into this is that you know imagining where it fits in it feels like a control piece um the game plan as a whole you're either playing it uh you're bringing pieces from it to bring control to um your opponent or you're playing a patented or patent pending uh tag row Game plan, yeah, what is that? Uh, yeah. From the Battle Mallet. So Tagro is a term uh, that I am uh, wholesale endorsing uh, from the Battle Mallet about how you're, you're coming in with an aggro game plan and you're tagging your opponents with the Void Curse to spread it, right? Mm. So if you okay. lean, lean into the Void Curse game plan as a whole and you go for their goal card, Reshaped Realms, which is a four-point goal card, if you can get all... Um, surviving fighters to be void cursed, um, then you're leaning into a tag row game plan. And I, I love that word play. <laughs> uh, and uh, to kind of dive into that, 
um, why it's Tagro is when you're leaning into Void Curse, you either want to be Void Cursing as many fighters as possible uh, or and or eliminating the fighters that aren't Void Cursed. Um, th- that's going to get you over the goal cards in the deck um, and get you the highest scoring potential out of the deck uh, from face value. So um, taking a step back, when I say control, uh, the reason I, I called out control play is because when a fighter becomes void cursed, you are changing the way that fighter interacts with the game um, to some degree, most of the time. Um, the exceptions are going to be if you have a fighter that is on one guard and also doesn't have an built-in action. Uh, if neither of those are true, then you are changing that fighter fundamentally. So, or, sorry, uh, if there is a range three uh, attack, you are stripping the fighter of that range three attack. So this deck um, definitely fits within a niche, and I'm very happy it's plot locked. If it was not plot locked and you had the ability to bring this into a championship build without um, sacrificing access to our other plot locked options, of which there are three other options today, um, then you would have really strong control play for free on the enemy team, as well as access to um, some movement shenanigans, uh, which we'll talk about. Uh, before I kind of jump into where I think this fits into Nemesis and Champs, uh, is there anything that you two want to add uh, regarding Void Cursed? Well, the Void Cursed plot and being Void Cursed has some changes to the fighter dynamic, so that immediately is going to make you consider which fighters you want to Void Curse and whether that flows well with how that Warband works. Uh, so there's some immediate considerations just from a fighter card point before you even get into objectives, upgrades, employees. Yeah, for for me, uh, on initial blush, it felt like this was the most consequential plot card uh, until you realize, like, with a lot of game plans, there don't there there often doesn't end up being that many void cursed out there. But um, it it is if if you get it to come into play, it is a is it a pretty uh, this this deck. Um, can work a lot through what its plot card dictates. Agree. Yeah. And so as we kind of think about where this fits in Nemesis, I think if you're going to bring this into Nemesis, you're going to be leaning into the game plan. There is not much reason to bring it outside of in Nemesis, in my opinion, um, than uh, trying to lean into that game plan and go for the, you know, swinging for the fences, go for reshape realm for four points or um, tipping point as a surge, um, you know, score this immediately after an activation step. If there are more surviving void curse fighters than surviving fighters that are not void curse. So that's, you know, literally more of the field is coming over to the void curse game plan than the other half. And that's that's where that Tagro mindset comes into play. Is it's like, okay, I, I like I'm going to run in with uh reshape being burst and see how many of you, you know, I can change into void curse off of this extremely powerful, you know, fifth um one third chance gambit. Um 
And if, you know, I'm unsuccessful on some targets, then those might be the targets I need to take down because, um, so that, that's where that aggro, you know, is, is coming into place there is it doesn't need everyone to be void cursed. It just needs your surviving fighters to be void cursed. Right. Which means then as a contingency, you have to have fighters capable of like really good aggro or reliable aggro. Cause if your first plan of tagging isn't working, then you have to reliably kill or have some contingency there. Um, so you don't really want to aim for a warband that has a bunch of like uh, poor attack profiles or is more interested in holding objectives. So you want to find a good uh, synergy with that. Agree. And I like some of the duality here. Like they have a card, um, Uncounted Cost, that is going to be looking at uh, four or more fighters out of action. Again, leaning into the aggro side. And two or more of those fighters are void curse. Well, that could be your own fighters that have fallen out of action. So if you uh, choose somebody at the beginning of each round to be void cursed on your side, as you're going to do with the plot card, uh, and you're running on counter costs, you might be like hyper aggressive with that individual to see this card make it across the finish line for uh, two glory for you. Um, so th- there's a lot to lean into the game plan with here when it comes to a nemesis build. With a champs build, this is where I think Void Curse Thrall gets even more interesting. And and I suppose before I move away from nemesis, one thing I've kind of thought about with a nemesis lean or like a game plan lean uh, with Void Curse is you, this is probably the deck I would caution you the most against using with like a new player. Um, if y- you're going to be taking this against a new player, because you can really make uh, a complete flip of how they play the game. Like it-, it can be oppressive. So if you're playing, like, for example, you hand, you decide to take sepulchral guard uh, with void curse thralls against far striders. You know, you, you bought the, you bought the new starter box, the one before the <laughs> the Iron Soul Condoners one, and you bought um, Void Curse Thrall, and you wanted to try that out. You know, Spock Regard building a scenario, right? Like that's that's going to feel really bad on the other side because if you Void Curse any of the Far Striders, they're going to lose their their range three attack. So this is kind of common with uh, control plans in games in general. Uh, a control plan is usually not the thing that you kind of want to lean into when bringing somebody new into the game because you're telling them that they can't play the game in the way that they came to the table expecting to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is potentially a shortcoming uh, for the Void Cursed Thralls for some players out there. Like, I think that there are going to be players that absolutely despise going up against a Void Cursed deck. I think there are going to be other players out there who absolutely embrace being on the other side of this deck and find the the story that you create over, you know, 40 minutes together is worthwhile. Um, that you are turning them into, you know, uh, fighters that can only 
smash face that you know don't have access to their range three attacks don't have uh, access to their built-in actions you're spreading the curse like it's actually happening and they're having to change game plan and just go aggro against you and see if they can um stop you like that brings with it its own fun um but it's one again where like i would just caution know, know your audience yeah so if i can summarize like uh new players will be trying to play their own game and control in a competitive sense is about like scoring your own, just like every other deck, but also taking it a step further and denying their scoring Uh, control in this case with void curse, shutting off their abilities, shutting off unique actions, range three attacks. So while that is really strong in competitive play and why control really has um, a lot going for it, um, that can yeah shut off a new player's experience because the cool, unique actions that they were planning to do are uh, no longer available to them. And in a competitive scene, the ability to adapt is what really defines a strong and good player. Um, and when you're just learning, you're not prepared to do that sometimes. So. I would agree. So um, with champs, you get the uh, choice you know, if you're bringing Void Curse, like you, the, the choice has already been made when you decide to bring Void Curse, that you're leaving Daring Delvers, Fearsome Fortress, and Tooth and Claw um, on the table. You're not bringing those. That is a really interesting decision. And is it compelling enough, the Void Curse offerings, uh, to make a case for that? And you know what? I've been trying on my <laughs> side to make that work. And I think in some cases it can. Um, I've been personally trying with Soul Raid and, and uh, running into difficulty. And the reason I've been trying is because um, of a few key cards. Um, so the control pieces that kind of come into play here and movement pieces um, are, are why you would consider this in champs. Um, and that is like Thrallmaker. You know, if you've got range three available to you, then you Thrallmaker doesn't actually void curse the fighter that you award it to. So you can use this um, to void curse people at a safe range. And that could mean like charging in and tossing a range three shot at something like, you know, a, um, oh, I apologize. What's the leader of the exiled dead? Help me out here. A Dan Antelos. I got there on my own. Um, And all of a sudden, boom, you shut down the exiled dead um, because you brought this control piece or you were able to get this in on Snurk um, from a safe range. And, you know, if it fails, like, ooh, okay, at least I'm not within, um, you know, range of his push um, shenanigans. Uh, And maybe I'll try again a little bit later, but if it sneaks in like that, that puts Snurk offline. Um, So... That's kind of um, one of the reasons why I've been playing with this is because you can then control the the fighters that you do not want um, to see act, like have online on the other side. Um, but it also brings with it um, some crazy movement shenanigans uh, with a gambit that will allow a void curse fighter on your side to make a free movement. Um, it also comes with two upgrades, refashioned reactions and priorities um, that are going to allow you to move out of sequence. Incredibly powerful. Um, 
And then I don't think for the most part, you lean into void curse from a champion side for the surges. There are a few surges here you can kind of make work, um, but you're going to need to shore up the surges in other places. And I'm really curious what that's going to look like on rotation, because right now I think it's pretty hard to shore up the surges, but as we see more universal options that aren't plot locked, um, this could become more attractive mm-hmm. um, in the um, plot lock department for you if you can forego, you know, needing this deck for your uh, objectives and instead just focus on what it can bring for you in the power deck. I think that's where this deck is going to excel. Sure. Um, right now, as stands, I think the most powerful card in here um, that you would consider is Threatening Presence. Um, I've mentioned Sepulchral Guard. I think this is extremely strong for them. Uh, this is, you know, having control of two of the three territories. And by that, I mean having more fighters um, in two of the three territories on the board. This will award you two glory points. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. works. Given that, uh, as far as Warbands go, uh, that we would recommend, you know, kind of trying with Void Curse Thralls, I think you're looking at. Um, aggro warbands with a low model count. And the reason for that is because if you go aggro, uh, you can wipe out the opposing forces that don't have um, the void curse tag on them yet. Um, And a lower model count means you're already closer to making this work for you. You need to void curse less of your own. Um, So Gore Chosen kind of come to mind here. Um, but, yeah. uh, the reason I've been talking about the Swalco Guard a little bit is if you have any war bands that are already on a single shield, then they don't really suffer too many negatives. Um, so the Sepulchral Guard can, it is indeed, you know, uh, in that camp already, um, and can really benefit from a lot of the movement shenanigans here to continue to get themselves into position for their yeah. natural scoring game. And I think they like not being driven back. I mean, I think the only fighter in that warband that really doesn't want to be void cursed is the, the warden himself. Um, cause he, he wants to be able to use his, uh, resurrection and move mechanics, but, uh, you got plenty of people to void curse before he, um, takes it absolutely i am so glad you called that out because i i couldn't agree more um are there any other war bands uh that the two of you think you know can uh pair with void curse thralls uh for me i think uh uh and this is gonna be a almost like a a, a joke but um reavers you know like phil and i always like to go back to the reavers but they they die quickly um and they have that aggro situation they actually get a defensive buff from this because they only ever start at one dodge and never inspire better than that so uh that helps them out um and uh so i I think they can kind of lean into that game plan a little bit of and um if you if you have the uh the you know uh four dead two are void cursed uh that can lean into their corn cares not game plan so i kind of like that pairing agree a pairing that i've flirted with is uh kind of started from an idea of if the dread pageant saw the void curse more of like a way to get high. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I was thinking like uh, based on what they lose out on, like as 
being void cursed, uh, they don't suffer a whole lot. Uh, you don't want to void curse Glizette, um, because then she goes down to just one defensive dice. I think she still remains on guard though, but she's yeah. already not getting pushed back. But you have uh, Vasilek and Slake Slash who are always on one shield and they have a heal mechanic. They don't really want to be pushed back. I usually want to be on objectives. So they have a good uh, Warband deck. I think a lot of quality in there and a lot of, and a deep well of number of cards that they can draw from. So I think that supplements Void Curse Thralls well, or Void Curse Thralls supplements with them well. Um, I don't think it would be very much Tagro. Um, I think I would be more utilizing a lot of the control aspects. Um, but unfortunately, I haven't been able to put my hands on a Void Curse Thrall deck yet, so I haven't been able to field test this theory. Well, like you, you physically don't have one yet? No. Ooh, rough. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Well, well, um, that. Yeah. And then I don't know how I feel like that would be stronger and ideal in championship, um, just broadening the pool. Um, but I'm curious to find out. Yeah, I think if you find yourself in championship going, ooh, I think I can take Void Curse Thralls, then you're in a really good spot because that means you're not relying on it again for objectives and you can really lean on what it can bring to you uh, from a power standpoint. Mm. So, And with that, I think that's a good summary of Void Curse Thralls. So uh, we have eight more decks to tackle <laughs> for you. Yeah, Let's dive into it. All right. So with that, I'm going to pass the ball to Brian. Um, deck of your choice uh, between... Uh, spoilers, he's tackling Tooth and Claw, Seismic Shock, and Deadly Depths. What would you like to kick the conversation off with? Uh, jumping to the other end of the spectrum from Void Curse Thralls, we're going to tackle a deck that uh, needs a lot less discussion, but also like some caveats. Uh, this is a Rivals deck from a bygone era um, where they were still feeling out the Rivals deck concept and also back we were back in Olgu, where we started with two feature tokens that we no longer have anymore um, uh, by default. Uh, so every game you would have the five objective feature tokens flipped over to have a cover side facing us. And then you also had two other feature tokens that were just cover hex on both sides, both facings. Um, so Deadly Depths comes from Olgu and relies a lot on cover. Um, nowadays we don't have those two extra feature tokens so and all of the objectives start face up so no cover starts unless you're bringing a different rivals deck that brings its own feature token in or you have some champ support to build your own uh, feature tokens so a lot of what's in here is not currently meta relevant um, but a lot of Deadly Depths relies on feature tokens being on cover hexes and the like. Um, so it is not plot locked. Uh, despite all those caveats, it might as well be plot locked. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is, uh, it's still got some gems. Um, I specifically want to call out a gem of Lurking Horror, which, if you're playing Nemesis, is still viable. Um, but if you're in Champs, it is not. It has actually been Forsaken because uh, it was very strong. Um, so strong thing to note there. 
Um, if you're picking a warband with this, um, obviously they're going to want to already be interested in feature tokens and especially so cover hexes. Um, so warbands that jump to mind would be Shadeborn. They are also from this era, also Olgu. Uh, they have a lot of innate cover hex mechanics. Um, so they pair well enough or as best as you can with this deck. Um, but I don't know if it's something that I would pick, especially if you're looking at Nemesis. I don't know if it's got enough... Uh, cover mechanics to warrant choosing this over another deck. I think Shadeborn would be the one that might consider Deadly Depths instead of another deck for Nemesis purposes, um, but I think they might have better flex going into something that yeah. brings its own feature token. I, I have an extremely hard time imagining anybody taking this as their one pairing for Nemesis. It's just, I mean, it doesn't even come with, I think it has three surges in it. Uh, yeah. It you you would have to be really strong in your own house uh like in your own or faction band cards band before deck. you reach for this and i think uh you know the, the example of shadeborn their problem is they come from an era that uh their rivals deck only has four surges uh if i'm not mistaken and so yeah, that this means, was before they made every faction warband have six surges six end phase yeah every, every rivals deck would be a universal or faction mm-hmm. um and so uh, something like that ends you up with like you you got to pick six out of your seven that's that's a tough yeah, that's situation. rough yeah. um i need you two to walk me off this ledge right now uh okay. just just seeing access to lurking horror again makes me <laughs> makes me want to try this as a nemesis build for miari's purifiers oh, oh my boy. god that's well so, it's such a it's a strong card for a reason but no don't <laughs> uh, i mean yeah I mean, Myri's fling of fires will fling you right off that cliff. Myri's Myri's might have enough infection surge to get by. I don't know. That's that's a tough, that's a tough one. But they yeah, might. How do you feel about single glory end phase cards with <laughs> tough mechanics? Because that's the other end of the spectrum. Is not only do they not have a lot of, they don't have. They only have three surges. So how are the other nine end phases? Yeah. Not great. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot only- of. A lot of like double caveats for one glory. So like a couple of the cards were reminiscent to me of like Path to Victory, which Path to Victory is get a kill and stand on two objectives. A lot of these are similar in that it's one caveat, get a kill, and the other caveat of do this difficult thing. And for one glory, like at least Path to Victory is worth two glory end phase. Yeah. Um, a lot of these cards are single glory end phase and not worth it. There's even a third glory end phase in here lost together. Um, and I don't think many of these are worth it. Uh, Surging Darkness is a strong surge that uh, have two fighters charged out onto a feature token. Um, Agro Warbands might like that, which... Uh, leans into lurking horror but skylar step away from the cliff um <laughs> we must go deeper is a nice push gambit skylar step away from the cliff um <laughs> but like uh, some of the some of the highlights from the old goose season aren't even in this deck and that makes me weep a little um but i think this deck um it's a very hard sell in Nemesis, and when you go into Championship, you're just cherry picking those one or two cards that are, you know, needed out of this. Match you, sure. 
yeah, so I don't think in championship it's necessarily a call out for any one warband to really look at this closely because we must go deeper. It's like if you already want to get into enemy territory or no man's land, um, just take that. We must go deeper. Um, Lurking Horror is out, so sad there. Um, there's just a couple things here and there. So um, I don't know. Am I Am I underselling this? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I think it's uh, very characteristic of when they were still figuring out what a what a uh, rivals deck, a universal rivals deck was. I am looking at the cliff a little more cautiously. <laughs> <laughs> we we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, some of the popular champs cards uh, that this deck brings um, in end phase is plumbing the depths, um, but right now that also requires you to be in a lethal. And I mean, it always requires you to be an lethal. Um, but right now, with the ping landscape, that's a tall order. There's a reason I haven't been including this in my own um, Miari's Championship build. Um, and the other one is uh, Blood in the Deeps, uh, uh, which is a card that was awful until it got an errata. So it's not face value. If you're looking at that card right now, it actually reads differently and allows um, the previous action step instead of the previous or action phase instead of the previous action step turns it from um pretty bad to pretty reliable mm-hmm. um but uh no overall i think um you're you're giving this a pretty fair assessment yeah uh standing at the edge of the cliff or are you hearing the call of the dark <laughs> I, if you choose to uh give this a try i'll be looting the remains <laughs> <laughs> Uh, He's unstoppable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Continuing to tempt me into playing it. I I see what you're doing. Uh, I like it. All right. Um, Uh, Davey. Well, uh, before we pass the ball, are there any warbands that you see kind of dipping into this deck, uh, at least in a championship aspect? Um, I understand that Nemesis is uh, a tall order here. (laughs) So Davey. (laughs) (laughs) And so we go. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I think uh, I think you mentioned Shadeborn might grab some, and I think there's a couple that uh, Exiled Dead like you know they can they can handle a, a couple of those uh, all right. So yeah, it just uh, kind of falls under the the general pool of if you're in champs, everything that's universal is open to you, and this just kind of has the caveat of oh, it's also in deadly depths. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, the. Uh, the, the call out there for me is, as, as you already mentioned, we must go deeper. If you're playing Invading Aggro, bring this card. Um, so Soul Raid um, loves to spice on a little Deadly Depths these days. It's also, But it's also got some conditions to it that uh, I've had it brick for me. And so it's like if you're already well into your game plan, it might not be worth it. So Yeah, but if you're in enemy territory, it can't brick. Um, if you're in enemy territory, it's a free push of two. Yeah, well, but I've like I've like been where I want to be, and it doesn't do anything for uh, me. Well, I mean, then you're where you want to be. <laughs> well, you're just a master of positioning, Brian. It sounds like a first world problem. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think I, we're plumbing the depths here. Let's uh, move on, <laughs> Davy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to keep it uh, in that realm. I'm actually going to reach for illusory might, and this is the uh, of the. Universal Rivals decks in rotation right now. This is the oldest. There is one older, and that was uh, Silent Menace, which has rotated. That was a Dire Chasm. Uh, 
era uh, deck, but uh, Illusory Might is Harrow Deep, and uh, it is uh, it will if we are guessing correctly on how rotation will work now that we're in these uh, half year seasons, it will be the first to rotate. So it's uh, its days are numbered, short lived theoretically. Um, but this is a deck that uh, really leans into illusions, as you as you might have guessed, uh, and a lot of those illusions are attack actions. Uh, so you're going to reach for this deck if you are looking for an early boost to your attack power. Um, if you're looking to kind of uh, be able to, it, it, it essentially it essentially can make it as almost as if your deck is uh, more heavily loaded towards gambits because uh, the advantage of gambits is they don't cost glory. Same with illusions. So if you have ten gambits. Uh, and then five illusion upgrades, and then five upgrades. That means fifteen of your cards can be played, even if you don't have any glory out. Um, so, it, it is a way to really kind of make a blitzy deck. Um, the warbands that really like to look for weapons are kind of a fan of this one. Um, that that can be different nemesis versus rivals, um, but uh, we'll I'll, I'll touch on that in a little bit. Uh, it does not. It does not totally work as a as a standalone deck. Not in the way that uh, later in the in the um, Weird Hollow and Gnarlwood seasons did. Uh, this yeah, I is. I feel like it. I feel like it had a cohesive theme, but not a cohesive mission. That is true, and it had a couple. It had like some famously um, in weird outliers. I think it has Shady Bargain in it, which I know we've talked about a number of times. Which is like a yeah. hey, play out an upgrade without spending glory and you're like i that's literally what i'm already doing like i have more glory than i need because i haven't spent any because everything is illusions that's if you're using it on its own yeah ever since the change to the buccaneers i fail to find a reason to bring this card yeah yeah uh i i think i included it in the trash fire tournament (laughs) (laughs) well done Uh, i think i used it once um and the other times i just drew it too late for it to really matter so um, but yeah, so those, those are the things that you would take it for. It has, um, uh, horrors in the dark, which was a really strong Ulgu season card, um, with fewer feature tokens out and about, uh, it has lost a lot of its, um, currency as a surge. Um, but it's there, there's a couple, uh, reliable one glories in there, um, I am thinking about, uh, I want to say Trace the Ley Lines, I think is in here. Personal um, favorite. Yeah, I, I think certain warbands really like that. Just as a very reliable one glory if you're uh, if you're going for uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's some cards that uh, if you are building, so we'll, we'll touch on things here. But So I would say if Nemesis, um, you got to be careful because uh, they're... There's not a lot of glory that this um, that this objective deck is going to bring for you, um, so you you better you better either have a control game plan where you're going to deny glory to the other side, um, or you better have some high glory with the deck that you're bringing. With champs, uh, I think there's actually a lot of reasons to reach for this. Uh, a lot of these illusion weapons are actually pretty decent. I think we see Phantom Fists plenty. Uh, certain warbands really like to include phantom darts. It's like an extra range three attack that you can throw on. Uh, I think the new, um, the new far striders actually kind of like that because it gives them another uh, profile attack to use, um, which helps them with their inspire without uh, having to get up close and get punched in the face. So I would, 
I would agree. I've actually found that both Phantom Darts and Phantom Fists can help with a branching fate inclusion. Um, if you're worried about having enough um, three dice profiles within yep. your fighter cards, you can really yep. kind of get over the um, get over the barrier there uh, with yeah. these. Yeah, so uh, great for great for decks that uh, are looking for ways to uh, bump up some attack profiles on some um, sort of more puny fighters. Well, yeah, and. Uh... Weapons master, uh, old favorite of mine. Like you don't see many plus one damage out of a lot of rivals decks. Sure. Uh, uh, any anytime you see the ability to add damage, I think you need to uh, consider it. So I think this is a deck that uh, sings a little more in championship than it does in Nemesis. It just doesn't have the cohesiveness to make it a uh, a, a good pairing with all but a few. I think uh, if you are going Nemesis, I think uh, the Cunning Crew actually has some play there because they have some in-faction illusions that are very good uh, and they can use those to couple with uh, some of these surges in this deck that uh, want you to have illusions out. And uh, I think they're, they're little guys actually uh, enjoy having these weapons. You can, you can do some cool things with those. So uh, they're pretty good. I know some people have done some cool stuff with uh, Grisel's Aranai with this. Uh, and then I, I think, um, being from Madison, there's a, a, a contract we signed when we joined League. Uh, I have to mention that Alex has uh, uh, beaten most of the people on this podcast with his illusion worm spat. So um, I think uh, I think that's a that's a pairing you want to look to, and that that kind of leans into that idea that I was talking about with like the control aspect, where um, you are dealing with a low glory ceiling but not giving up much, which is kind of what worm spat can can shine when they do. Yeah, I think one of the things you think about when you look at this as a nemesis pairing specifically is it's one of those decks where because you're trying to um, meet a need outside of what your warband is bringing, um, you want as low of a fighter count as possible to meet that need. Um, To that end, I've seen, um, I believe the user is Craig um, on the Vassal Discord um, do this with a Rippus uh, mm, pairing. Yep, uh, totally. To, to great success. success. Yeah, and that, that really comes in where, uh, uh, especially Mean Eye, like, doesn't have an amazing attack uh, other than, you know, the wolf underneath him. Uh, so you can you can bump up your attack profiles um, be on, on any of the three, but especially Mean Eye and, to a lesser extent, stab it with uh, using those. Uh, some of the cards that you're going to reach for with this deck... Uh, any of the weapons, we already talked about those quite a bit. Uh, Shadow Mover is actually a pretty powerful move boost. Uh, and then Ephemeral Fortitude is a card which can get one of your little fighters uh, extra endurance early on. Uh, and that's kind of a big deal, again, with, with the Cunning Crew. Uh, get one of those little guys who are so crucial to the game plan. Make sure they don't just like die to a, a lucky hit. You know, Bump them up to four wounds. Keep them in the mix for long enough to uh, get, get things going. Um so I think that's uh that's what uh, Lucery Might holds. Uh, enjoy it while it lasts because it's not much longer for this world, I think. And to that point, I actually have a special mention here. If you are listening to this episode and you would like to dabble in Lucery Might and you're in the United States, please drop us a line. Uh, contact us via email or on Discord. I have one copy of Lucery Might Spare right now that I would like to send your way. Wow. All right. Cool. That's that community building that uh, Skylar does so well. <laughs> Skylar, uh, build us some more episode, though. What do, what do you got for another deck to talk about? All right. My next deck 
on the hot plate here is Daring Delvers. Um, so jumping into Daring Delvers, I believe this to be one of the most flexible um, offerings that we have right now from a universal rival standpoint and a plot lock standpoint. There are a lot of reasons to subscribe to this deck, um, but I'm going to kind of try to keep it light here. So um, the thing it infamously brings is not its exploration uh, mechanics, but instead I mean, yeah. <laughs> its ping package. In fact, um, there's a game to be had, a head game, uh, to sit down and say, hey, I'm playing Daring Delvers. And for your opponent to think to themselves, is this because of the ping package or are they actually about to explore a little bit? Um, yeah. I, I, used to, I used to have that conundrum. I, it's been a long time since I've actually trusted the any possibility they might be exploring especially in champs right and <laughs> yeah. yeah. champs um that goes away immediately it's like yeah they're mainly here for the ping package i know what's up um yeah. and, and that package is um very simply um three cards it's sun of demise which is a surge that awards you two glory for a kill that was accomplished with ping or a lethal um which ends up essentially being a three glory um surge unless you killed something like the first dog in the hexbane crew with it um, which is a way to really capitalize off of that matchup. Yeah, it's still um, worth it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Or against the Soul Raid, mm. um, which was actually mm. something I believe I was able to accomplish in my uh, Miri's Ping of Fires Does, it, ma- does it work against Soul Raid? Because he's not actually taken out of action, right? Um, you might be right there. Um, yeah. I know. I, in fact, I, I believe you are. Okay. Um, yeah, holistically. So uh, <laughs> it's it helps with the Hexbane matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, to support Sun Demise, kind of as the inclusion in the deck itself, when you're looking at Nemesis, they also included Quick Roots and Flame Wisps as mm-hmm. two extremely strong uh, ping options within the deck itself. Um, so it's not entirely out of the picture to include bringing this into a Nemesis build for the ping package itself. Um, but when you're considering one of your four, you know, current plot locked options in championship, uh, that's a, that's a strong package. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of that package, we have just the invasion, um, aspect of the deck. This is a main theme of the deck. This is where, uh, this is literally what its plot card is built around is exploration, right? Um, gaining one, if you're on feature tokens, gaining another, if you're in, or sorry, I apologize. Um, it has to be in enemy territory to begin with. So uh, one, if you're in enemy territory or no one's territory, so outside of your own, and an additional one if you're hanging out on an objective uh, in that condition. Um, so with that, we have some two glory surge option, or not surge, um, but end phase options available to you. Um, so exploration is something you can lean into here and something to definitely consider when you're looking at a nemesis build um, but again, with w- how flexible this is, it doesn't necessarily have to be the whole picture. Um, and I think that's where this deck really sets itself apart from the others is it has the flexibility to lean into aspects within itself without subscribing to the whole picture, to the whole mm-hmm. game plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so another key card in there is Stealthy Advance. If you can just get on to some sort of uh, feature or hazard, um, now that we have the hazard keyword outside of your territory and make an attack from it, um, that's going to sur- score you a surge glory. That's really strong. Um, and kind of continuing on uh, with flexibility, this deck offers um, you have Brave the Root Maze, which is um, flexibly being on three 
of either a feature or a hazard that does not include a snare, um, as well as sleepless sentries, which is really just this positioning tech. You know, are each of the are each of your fighters within two of enemy fighters? I, I think it's uh, it does is is every enemy fighter are they close to within two of one of your fighters? Ah, I so must you, have had the previous version of this in my head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had we had a card um that was essentially the opposite of this um in Dire Chasm that was really popular. Um name escapes me at the moment. But uh Sleep of Sentries was really strong uh for positional tech. And then um something that I've really enjoyed as a tool within itself or within the deck is zone of control. Mm. Um and I kinda want to talk about zone of control a little bit because not only is it a domain uh, which is pretty big. I think when you're building a deck these days, especially for championship, you want to consider a little bit of domain presence in your deck, not only for your own game plan, but for countering any domains brought by um, your opposing player, um, including Drifting Tides. Drifting Tides is huge in the meta right now. And if you know, you know you're playing a best of three or something like that, and you've ironed out that they have Drifting Tides or you suspect that they might have it in that first game, you can kind of hold zone of control um uh to help you counter drifting tides because they have to reveal it earlier mm-hmm. than the final um mm-hmm. end phase or final power step thank you um so i think kind of as an overview for daring delvers that kind of uh covers it. it it's so flexible um that it's really hard to kind of distinguish where it helps you in nemesis versus in championship um i think if you can lean into an invading aggro game plan um, it is an incredibly strong consideration um, for Nemesis. In fact, um, I believe the strongest pairing for uh, Mad Mob these days, um, and I will die on this hill, uh, is <laughs> Fearsome Fortress. All right. Um, however, I did um, pair against Oman in the Adepticon um, of 2023. And we both played Mad Mob. We were the only Mad Mobs at the tournament. And he played Daring Delvers there and kind of showcased why this has legs. Um, Being able to use the two in-house ping tools to set up an unexpected kill and gain primacy there was really strong for him. Um, He didn't bring Sound of Demise, and I thought that was such a clever call. And he kind of leaned into a couple of the exploration objectives to kind of get him over his objective hump um, and lean into an aggro game plan there. Um, but uh, that is to say, like, if you're doing invading aggro, you don't even need to bring sudden demise for this deck to work for you. Um, so you could be looking at soul raid in a nemesis setting. I think that's really strong because of sleepless sentries being a two glory surge available to you. Uh, Mad Mop is mentioned um, in champs. I really think the sky's the limits here. Um, if you have any inclination for a ping build, um, it just slots right in. You don't even have to leave your territory. That's actually where I live uh, locally. <laughs> uh, before Weird, Weird Hollow came out, I came out with the Miari's Pingifiers. Um, and uh, at that time, I had the advantage of exploration being something that my opponent would have to consider in that first game. Is he leaning into that at all? Um, the answer was no. Um, but that was something my opponent had to feel out, and that felt good. Um, and now that we're in Weird Hollow, I've actually built a Redux um, and had a lot of fun uh, with it as well. So 
um, still a still good pick for them. Yeah, um, hand, handed me one of my worst losses in in recent memory with that. Uh, I tried throwing rippers at you, and uh, ooh, did not go well. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah, that was um, a meticulous game where the dice were a hundred percent in my favor. It felt like my positioning was great. And I wanted to actually like, you know, if we could do a post-op on that game afterwards, I was like, Oh, how was my positioning? Um, but the dice were really the star of the show. It was <laughs> a bit, my position ended up being secondary to it. But uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting game. <laughs> I, I would say your positioning slammed the door on uh, a game that was uh, leaning your way anyway. <laughs> So I, I think, yeah. Well, um, so that is kind of my spiel uh, and breakdown on Daring Delvers. Um, is there any other considerations you, you two want to bring forward regarding Daring Delvers, uh, Nemesis Champs, Warbands, uh, all open? Uh, well, so I think we with this deck, we talk a lot about the um, the Sudden Demise uh, piece of it. And then there's some strong other aspects uh exploration tends to get overlooked uh i think if you are playing in nemesis it becomes more of a consideration where like uh, you might actually have to work with the exploration mechanic um i don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that i i actually had some success with a Grimwatch uh, exploration thing and that's because they are already trying to grab objectives um in faction they have some stuff that cares about uh, maybe some objectives in enemy territory, certainly uh, some particular numbered objectives and that sort of thing. And they have the ability to do that with their uh, ghoul call ability. Uh, and so I went that way and actually had some had some uh, success uh, just because they are kind of good naturally at doing that anyway. I love that pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have any counter uh, to that pick. I think that's, <laughs> that's um, a really fun... Uh, way to dive into this deck. Fair enough. How, how about you, Brian? Uh, hot take: I find this deck profoundly uninspiring. <laughs> uh, I think it's the ping pack and the draw tech draw of plundered knowledge. Uh, there's maybe a few other things, but the entire explore mechanic is all reliant on holding objectives in enemy territory and. Uh, few strategies survive contact with the enemy and <laughs> the explore mechanic is definitely uh dead in the water because of that um i think grimwatch make a strong argument mainly because they can res um but i find this deck really i i, I was disappointed um being a one of the more uh focused like rivals of, of, from narwood in this season of having a more uh, stated mission statement. I think the uh, exploration mechanic was not given its due, and I I don't have anything more to add in terms of what you guys have already said. Um, those are the good considerations. Fair yeah, enough. no, I I hear you there, right? Like there there's so many reasons to bring this deck, um, and with that leaving exploration on the table most of the time, right? It kind of feels like the deck itself does a disservice to um, focusing on the exploration mechanic. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of upgrades that create explorers or kind of mess with that explorer thing. And you're like, ah, I guess it's, it's just, those are just kind of, they feel like filler. Unfortunately, yeah, I would, I would caution that the explorer mechanic is a trap. Um, unless you really put a lot of thought into it, uh, that plan rarely survives contact with the enemy. Yeah, no, I hear you. 
Um, one one card I just kind of want to call out before we move on from Nary Delvers is um, I've always been a fan of Soundless Step, you know, having the ability to, or Soundless Step or Duelist Speed even, but Soundless Step more because Soundless Step is a push after an action um, given to a fighter by an upgrade. And uh, they, they kind of have a quasi one in here that you can, you know, it's a scatter two. So it's like take your action and then um, scatter two, but it's up to, and the way the rules are um, established now uh, through FAQ, um, you can choose zero for that up to. So it's kind of like, um, ooh, either I can use this as a, you know, quasi soundless step or even like really reach for that second spot and get really lucky. Um, or at the worst, you know, it cost me nothing. Um, so it's a, it's another card in here that continues to tip it towards, um, being viable, uh, in, in many things. Well, on that note, um, uh, I think we've covered Daring Delvers here uh, as well as we set out to from mission statements. So I pass the ball to Brian. What deck would you like to tackle? Well, uh, we'll just go with the uh, pairing or the uh, partner to Daring Delvers, Tooth and Claw. Uh, came in the same Narwood box um, and far, in my opinion, far outshone the other. Um, this was the first Rivals deck that we had a cohesive um, theme and mission statement. Uh, the cards and in particular the objectives uh, flow well together. Um, I think a lot of the previous Rivals deck up until this point, uh, Silent Menace, uh, Daring Delvers, and Illusory Might kind of lacked um, that cohesiveness between scoring, actually getting glory for what the deck wanted to do. Um, So Tooth and Claw, very much aggro-focused. It's got a lot of... uh, accuracy bonuses uh, not a lot of increase in damage um, but a lot of movement a lot of um, engaging with the enemy being getting close with the enemy um, in their objectives they have embrace savage so i should say this is plot locked uh the plot card for this uh details how to make a fighter savage um they can choose to be staggered which would make them savage two wounds or more have a charge token um and basically savage uh, is just a condition that applies to the rest of the cards in the deck um so some of their so basically if you're if you got a low model count warband that wants to be charging all fighters are going to be savaged uh embrace savagery is all about that just have all your friendly fighters savage um and this was notorious for being paired with uh, Gnarl Spirit Pack, who was a four-fighter warband that had all the aggro for days. Um, and so they, this warband, if you already want to be attacking the enemy, this is usually your pairing. Um, yeah. I, and you mentioned uh, not a lot of damage. They, it is there. Like, there's, there's some damage boosts between uh, one kind of condition upgrade and then a, a great great ping like a, a oh you're right no brainer ping um which in nemesis like the two of those combined to like be a solid pick even if you are you know if you if you have any damage needs as well yeah i i um 
overlooked feral instincts for feral alteration, but feral yeah. instincts does have the plus one damage uh, to that fighter. And it actually makes them kind of like a berserker because they have to attempt an attack if they can. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the dark command, um, it got confused early on. Cause so back before, I think there was a small period of time where there it wasn't specifically stated that a plot card uh, restricted you to one plot deck. Um, so there was a brief period of time, I think, where people were like, oh no, you're just going to take Dark Command with the ping package from Daring Delvers. At least I was in that uh, mindset of, oh, oh no. Um, but quickly they implemented the plot lock rule. Yeah, I think we saw that from the original Gnarlwood, right? Because that's where we started with plot locking. Um, Rulebook? Um, mm. But as far as format documentation goes, they immediately upon release of Norwood came out with uh, what we now, you know, affectionately call plot locking. So yeah. that never actually saw the light of day, but definitely was in minds for a moment there. Yeah. So um, in Tooth and Claw, a lot of, um, like I said, it rewards you for being aggressive, being mixed in with your opponent, uh, focal point to glory end phase for having your leader, uh, neck, uh, within two hexes of a friendly fighter and an enemy fighter, uh, toyed with you, uh, have a fighter who enemy fighter who is vulnerable. Um, that ping card can really help for that dark command, um, move or die. Just have all of your fighters move or charge, uh, reliable, you know, there's, is pretty straightforward. Um, which I think is a really strong thing to put in the starter deck, uh, starter box. Um, and then just, yeah, if you want to just take a war band and see how aggro you can get with them, then this is the deck for you. Um, for Nemesis pairings, uh, any aggro war band. So Ripa's is always a contender when aggro is strong. If, uh, there's accuracy bonuses, um, it's a strong consideration. I, I failed to mention, sorry for a brief of brief aside, um, illusory might putting upgrades on Ripa's uh, allowed them to allowed Ripa to inspire, but it wouldn't help Godsworn Hunt. Uh, lament. Well, I think they did eventually eradicate that too. Yeah, yeah. For that, Ripa's, yeah. yeah, that was uh, live for like the the space of one uh, errata and far update. Still yeah. a crime. <laughs> <laughs> Agree, right? And, the, I, and I and and I'm not a huge fan of Godsworn Hunt, but that that was done dirty. No, I think the Godsworn Hunts were uh, put in check before they got a chance to see if they even needed to be in check. Yeah, sorry, Spoiler, I forgot to, they didn't. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I forgot to chime in. Illusory might there, um, but Tooth and Claw uh, Ripa's strong consideration for Nemesis. Um, you know. Magor's Fiends, uh, Reavers, uh, Coronate Warbands, all love it. Um, I think it, it, it's got a strong well to draw from, and there's some really strong quality cards in here too. Um, so if you have a Warband that kind of struggles with their own faction deck, this is also a strong contender uh, for that reason. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have Warband callouts besides the obvious that I've stated? Yeah, I think, you know, any four band. Um, Ooh, four band, I do like that. Yeah. <laughs> that, 
That is a good because, uh, like I said, with uh, Move or Die or um, Embrace Savagery, Embrace Savagery, yep. you only get four activations in a round, so you gotta uh, if you have more than four, you gotta have a strong reason for not exactly for, for doing that, right? So if you're looking at four or fewer models, um, Embrace Savagery and Move or Die are a much more attractive option. Um, so I guess for that, might not consider swarms, <laughs> right? Right. I think I think it kind of more speaks to what not to bring than than what to bring. Um, but right. I mean, if you were looking at um, an aggressive uh, dread pageant, sure, yeah. uh, this would this would work. Uh, and they've got a lot of strong cards themselves to to augment what's here. Any of the yeah. stormcast, really? I, I think oh, the yeah. main argument against dread pageant is uh, there is a lot of like range one. Um, yeah, buffs and uh, dread pageant have just a variety of ranges, which uh, makes it yeah, a little that, challenging. So. That's a good call. And yeah. frankly, uh, listeners out there, uh, I would not recommend playing <laughs> uh, dread pageant right now because you have two two healthers that uh, can just get pinged down. So, uh, advise caution. <laughs> yeah, when when ping is prevalent, uh, dread pageant that's a big risk to Glazette and. Yeah. Uh, she is half the warband. <laughs> <laughs> she is though. That's uh, yep. that's fair. Twenty five percent is fifty percent, seventy percent of the time. Oh. I have been toying <laughs> around with um, an Iron Soul uh, Condemner build in this space. Oh yeah! And now that the uh, secret sauce is out with Iron Souls being present in the starter set, um, so has so has Sleek's Bowl. Um So. Uh, sorry to potentially <laughs> uh, spoil uh, what you're working on uh, over there, but uh, GW saw us coming. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> oh, you gotta, you gotta think if they touch or modify that knockback card that they have. Alex is gonna be <laughs> upset. <laughs> he's always been upset about the condemners because he doesn't like order, and he's like, man. Do I really have to dip into order to play knockback? <laughs> oh, boy. <Yeah. laughs> but I digress. Uh, uh, so with Tooth and Claw um, going up to championship, this uh, being plot locked helps to restrict this from just being a wellspring of um, aggro upgrades and aggro uh, modifiers to a existing game plan. Uh, so yeah. it, you do have to forego some other game plans and other uh, card options. So there's a high opportunity cost here. Yeah. Um, so a lot of warbands don't get to supplement uh, with a powerful aggro. And so this kind of becomes even more uh, niche in championship, um, which I think is good. Um, so again, you kind of see the same call outs for you go from any four or less fighter warband uh, being an option in Nemesis to, I think, in Championship, you have a lot more of those warbands considering other options and not taking this um, because of the missed sure. opportunities. And I, I think this uh, deck also got hit pretty heavily with restrictions, which uh, uh, limits some of its appeal in Championship. Very true. Agree. I'm looking. They got two in the Gambits and one in the Upgrades for their Restricteds. Um yeah, the most yeah. hit uh, from a far list standpoint to date. Yeah. Yeah. Really curious uh, going forward what we're going to see um, when we're looking at uh, deck options that aren't 
plot blocked because that kind of brings with it its own restriction, which I think is really clever when it comes to mm. balancing a championship format. Um, so when you look at a deck that isn't plot locked, um, how many of those cards today, you know, are going to end up on our far? I don't know the answer, but um, right. curious. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. Well, that sounds like a wrap on Tooth and Claw. So uh, from Brian, we move on to Davey. What you got? Yeah. I'm going to keep it plot locked here. Uh, I'm going to go with Fearsome Fortress. Um, uh, Skylar and I kind of had to fight each other over who was going to get to talk about this one because we're we're uh, we both dipped into this quite a bit. I think um, we both have reasons that we like it. Sometimes it's the combos, uh, but I think a lot of it is just because it. Uh, this feels like the. I don't know. It, it, this feels like the. Uh, if not counter meta, it feels like the uh, sort of underground choice a little bit. Like Tooth and Claw and uh, Daring Delvers have uh, very obvious things to offer. Uh, and Fearsome Fortress is like, hey, if you're trying a different game plan, uh, maybe come over here. Come come hang out in our little our little fort here. Was um, that an underground fortress reference? I feel like that was an <laughs> underground fortress reference. It is now. Um <laughs> So th- this is a deck. Uh, if I was going to give it its uh, overview, I'd say it's uh, hold the middle, take a hit, and hit back um, is is how, what it boils down to. Uh, it gives you an extra feature token in the middle and gives you rewards. Uh, much of this deck operates through standing on feature tokens near the middle of the board uh, or feature tokens in general. And so that's going to kind of inform the choices of like why you're going to lean into this deck. It has a little bit of stagger tech in there uh, with uh, opportunistic reprisal being a uh, an out of sequence attack, which um, triggers off of somebody who is staggered. Uh, that is kind of like the big payoff that may or may not be a trap depending on um, how m- many other gambits you have to pick from. Uh, and then the big the big shortfall with this deck is that. Um, as just one ping, it's pretty mediocre, and then uh, damage buffs uh, are non-existent, other than one weapon that's two damage with Grievous uh, on uh, two smash, uh, which can help when you, some of your little guys. But it can. I, I frequently found myself pretty damage limited uh, playing this deck. However, uh, you are reaching for this deck if you like cards that will give you. Uh, that if you can trigger some of these cards that are that are basically surges without dice being rolled, um, and so the ones that I kind of highlighted was Earthworks, which is go on guard in that uh, neutral zone or close to uh, Bold Advance, which is charge off of a feature token in your territory, and then an end phase uh, Conquer Domain, which is be standing on feature tokens. So those are those are like some of the the powerful, and obviously those are all objectives, but um, that's a lot of times where you you start building and then go from there um i don't get to say the word bold sorty enough oh oh yeah sorry bold sorty yep my fault um uh bold sorty being being the one that's charge off of uh, a feature in your territory uh and for me like getting those silky smooth no dice rolled surges or big payoff end phases that can happen in any uh end phase those are real reasons to reach for the deck. And those are the, uh, the war bands that want those or can work with those are the ones that I reach for, uh, with this. And so that's war bands that have ways to go on guard. 
um, especially in the power step or out of phase warbands that have the ability to get on to feature tokens without picking up move tokens or charges. So uh, free pushes um, a la uh, the head crack as mad mob with those. Um, they can kind of set that up pretty easily uh, or the ability to get um, uh, there with, uh, I don't know, I think um, like black powder uh, can, can do that with uh, getting the minions to kind of scamper on uh, while you move around with other things. Um, for Nemesis considerations, I think some of the upgrades start to run yet at like the, the power deck. I, I feel like the objective deck is as strong enough that it is an okay pairing in a lot of Nemesis things like there. It's got, uh, it, it's got some two glory end phases that are scorable. A conquer domain can be like a four or more, uh, if things get really crazy. Um, so the, the objective deck is not what is, uh, torpedoing you. Um, I think it's the, the gambits and the upgrades can kind of run you out of steam if you don't have enough to like bring from your own, um, from your own rivals deck. Um, champs, I think this deck gets stronger cause you can fill in some of the gaps. So like, Hey, I don't have the ability to boost damage, but now I can supplement with great strength, glory seeker. Fighter's Ferocity, uh, you can fill in with Fighter's Ferocity or, or something like that to improve your damage or, or grab things from elsewhere uh, to uh, buff that out. That said, uh, I, I tried to come up with some cool names. Obviously, Sleek's Bowl will want us to mention. Uh, I don't think he calls it Sleek's Fortress, but he should. Um, this is, uh, that'd be the Storm of Celestis with Fearsome Fortress. That's a, a good pairing. Um Anyone who's got range two or three and is happy to get onto those objectives, sit there and just attack people from there, not have to move off to be able to like do more work. Uh, is going to like it. Uh, I had some good success with uh, the kind of crew on this um, where they could get on. They have like movement tricks to get on there. Uh, they have uh, power step um, power cards that get them on guard. They have guys who like to be on guard. They're little guys who are on two dodge, love to be on guard, love to be in cover on guard. Uh, uh, all that kind of, um, uh, capitalizes into, into sort of a synergistic thing. So, uh, Skylar, I know you, uh, think highly of this deck. What, what are, what kind of pairings do you enjoy, uh, putting with this? Yeah. So as mentioned before, um, I'll die on the hill that this is the best pairing to date, uh, for the mad mob, Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons for that is due to the fact that you can push uh, right out of the gate um, your uh, two fighters in Daco and Wallop uh, onto feature token placements because not only um, could these be the objectives that you're replacing, but this could also be the fearsome um, token you know that is brought in by this power card, right? Yeah. So that gets you pretty easy access to Earthworks and Bolt Advance. And I think that they have enough. Dan- sorty. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I <No>! got him. <laughs> you did indeed. Um, bold sorty. Uh, hilarious. Um, but uh, I believe they take enough damage um, or they have access to enough damage uh, within themselves. Uh, another option that I've been actually toying around with um, behind the scenes is Draper's Wraith Creepers. Mm, yeah, um, I think that's a great choice. Because of their drum beat. Yeah, yep. you know, absolutely. Um, and I think like just Conquer Domain in general is one of my favorite cards of uh, like present time um, and easily uh, of the Narwood like 
you know, slice. Yeah. Yeah. Really fun design. Yeah. I I mean, I, so it's, it is a big payoff potentially. It uh, generates an immediate like pressure for counterplay until the other player like sees its score. They're like, I, if, if uh, this fearsome fortress deck is sitting on feature tokens, like every guy I push off a feature token in that neutral zone area uh, will is like potentially one glory that I'm saving. Like, I, I love that. I love that it's big payoff, but like clear counterplay. Like there's there's something you can try to do about it. Agree. And like within the deck too, you've got Walking Wall, um, yeah. which can help you score additional points off of Cochrane Domain, but then plays with other cards in the deck and um, like notably combos with, and I think we've called this out on the podcast before. Um, I'm sure we have um, the push four. And the name escapes me at the moment. But redeploy. The, redeploy, thank you. Um, where... Um, you have to start on a token in your territory and end on a token, right? As long as you're a fighter with walking wall is in your territory. When you start that, you're golden. Um, it satisfies both sides um, mm-hmm. of that push. So a, like a combo within the deck that allows you access to a push for is just nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of reminiscent of like, what is it? Darkening Stone and uh, Call of the Dark. Yeah, or which they are co- cover of darkness. Yeah, which they eventually errated to not work like that, but they've not done the same for this. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. This feels a little different. And yeah, uh, it's interesting. They've included quite a few of these upgrades that make you act as though you're on a feature token. Um, so I think the reason we haven't actually seen that update, you know, an FAQ stopping that combo is because this is plot locked. Right. Mm-hmm. So in championship, yeah, totally. You're, totally. not, you're not seeing abuse um, from being a, ac- you know, having access to that combo um, among other cards, as well as then in Nemesis, it's, you know, kind of a bonus uh, for you if you can get there. But also like Darkening Stone, you were in a cover hex. It innately meant that your defense was increased. Uh, Walking Wall just says that this essentially is a combo feeder. Yeah, uh, I think that kind of wraps up my thoughts on Fearsome Fortress. Uh, one more time around, has anybody got anyone else they want to pair or cards they want to highlight? Seeing as I was uh, using this, uh, I'd be remiss not to mention that for similar reasons that uh, Skylar pointed out, Bolt Sortie and Earthworks for Headcrack Map, I was utilizing uh, Ephilim's Pandemonium in much the same way. Um, FLM's plot and changing mechanic allowed me to put, um, like I would have a fighter already on a feature token in fortress land. And by the virtue of the changing sequence, if I could put one of those fighters on guard and I had earthworks in hand, it scored even before the round really truly began. Oof. Um, yeah. Um, Oof. and then with their push mechanic, I could even in round one, if I, push one of my fighters onto a feature token i could just charge onto charge somewhere else and now i'm scoring that at first activation so yeah. very powerful play there with flms um but i think uh it's a lot of stuff that a lot of people already know yeah yeah um so i'll actually use that as a ramp real quick um so speaking about flms and actually domaton storing coming as well uh, we are aware that the greater Underworlds community is experiencing um, some dominance performance from Aphelums in Nemesis and both Aphelums and Domaton Scorm Coven in Championship. Uh, just wanted to call out that we're aware that these warbands are really strong in those arenas. 
Um, and we are consciously, you know, throughout the course of this episode, trying to highlight other war bands that are going to pair well um, with these uh, different builds, uh, these different pairings available to them. Um, but like Brian said, we'd be remiss to not mention that the combination of Ephilims and Fearsome Fortress is extremely strong right now uh, amongst the highest of tiers available, uh, especially within Nemesis. Um, and then, you know, down the line, you'll hear us uh, call it Domiton Storm Coven. This is kind of me doing it in advance, but, you know, with Seismic Shock, right, they're, they're going to benefit a lot from that package, having three wizards available to them. Um, and they have some some additional advantages with having three leaders available to them. So just wanted to take a beat to call out that we hear you. Uh, we, we see it ourselves. And that, you know, as the game continues forward, uh, we hope that that is addressed. And um, there are 40 other warbands, you know, present right now. Oh, sorry. No, 42 were played in our league. That's where I was getting my you know, 42 minus two, uh, there are 51 warbands right now. So 49, 49 other warbands, you know, to shine in the scene and that have kind of brought us into this game, you know, in advance of the weird hollow box dropping. Not, not that these warbands aren't interesting, aren't fun, don't have their own offerings. Um, but they just need a little balance. Yeah. That they're a little overtuned right now. Um, so, uh, it's not a drum beat that we want to sit here, uh, you know, and hit every episode, but it is something that we want to acknowledge uh, for those out there who feel they are a little strong. Uh, they are. We see you and acknowledge you, and we hope that they get reined in a little bit. <laughs> Agree. Yeah. So, uh, but I think that wraps Fearsome Fortress, and I think that brings us back to you, Skylar. What uh, What do you have left? What's your last one? All right. My last deck to cover is Beastbound Assault. So, get ready to hear the words. Beast, <laughs> companion, minion, and or has one or more denons and upgrades. A lot. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I won't be saying those words uh, repeatedly here for you. They are already um, on the cards. Uh, Let's uh, just call it beast bound. So many. Exactly. Actually, so that's my first point um, is I actually think that um, there's they could have taken a note from what they did with Illusions and what a lot of other card games do, and actually separated the text on these cards. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, in the space of the card, if you're going to list out the words on every card, Beast, Companion, Minion, and or has one or more tendons and upgrades, call that out at the top or the bottom. Uh, keyword it. And keyword it, right? So I, I would prefer at the top, right? Um, just kind of like illusions, say Beast Bound, bold, right? Um, this means, you know, these fighters are either... And you go through that, right? Uh, and then below that, you have the actual effects of the card. And what that does is it declutters the card. Um, it makes it so you're not constantly reading and putting mental load on what keywords are present. Um, because um, in some cases, not all of these keywords are pleasant. Uh, present. Maybe the card only cares about Denizen. Maybe it offers more beyond that scope. So if you reduce this mental load in text um, to just Beastbound, and you just include that at the top of any card that's going to reference Beastbound, um, you do away with the need of it being um, a reference card, which could be confusing because that could end up uh, feeling like a plot card. And then people think that they're plot locked into Beastbound when it really it's just a reference card. Um, so just put it at the top um, like you would do with Illusions. Um, and all of a sudden you allow people to focus on what the card is actually doing 
um, instead of just um, continually reading <laughs> that phrase. Um, that aside, uh, and it's worth noting because you're going to see it a lot in this deck. This is the deck's focus. Um, so outside of... But, go ahead. Valid valid criticism, but one of the uh, things I, I should emphasize is really have to be careful reading the card because they haven't done this. They haven't keyworded it like that. There will be text intermixed between those beast bound that beast bound caveat so yeah uh, make sure to read the card carefully i actually think the greatest sin that we've ever seen in card formatting is illusions that at the top of the card it talks about illusion but includes more than what you would commonly see in that paragraph right so you skip the paragraph you get onto the effect um and you miss the fact that it's actually <laughs> a little more than what your standard illusion has as a qualifier um, yeah, I, I can't remember the name right now, but there was the uh, the uh, order illusion that you could only play on somebody who is like vulnerable, which right. would inspire them. Yeah, and I remember over, overlooking the thing that was uh, that said that they were uh, needed to be vulnerable. I was like, what? I can't believe they did it. They made another like free inspire. And they're like, oh, actually, this is not yeah. great. <laughs> and sometimes because sometimes that mixed condition can be a pro for you, a con for your foe or uh, something yeah, it just really messes with gameplay sometimes if you assume. Yeah, that's yeah. the exact card I was thinking of. Um, I yep. almost wish I remembered the name and uh, put it in the flavor text quiz here. But um, <laughs> <laughs> to be continued, that's right. I have the wheel. I have the flavor text quiz. Um, but uh, regarding <laughs> Beastbound Assault, um, a lot of this deck is leaning into those keywords. You're going to want as many of those keywords present in the warband you're bringing as possible. That's going to be um, even more pre- uh, prevalent in Nemesis than it is going to be in Champs. Uh, I'll get that to uh, get to that to get to that in a moment. Oh boy! Um, all right. Well, so the other thing that this deck brings with it, alongside um, this Beastbound condition and including uh, included in the Beastbound condition, is these Denizen upgrades. There are some that predate this deck that exists within championship, um, which are things we kind of called out when we were originally going over this deck. Um, But uh, if you're going the Denizen route, you want as few fighters outside of the keyworded game plan as possible so that you don't have to worry about spreading the Denizen game plan to a large amount of fighters within yourself. Um, Anytime you can reduce that load, you strengthen the game plan. So you're going to look, if you're not bringing beasts, companions, and minions, then you're going to be looking at as small of a warband uh, as you can to lean into that denizen side. Yeah, it's a matter of like making this a natural synergy versus a combo deck. Agree. Uh, some key cards to call it in here. Um, is Unbeatable Team. This is a two-glory surge, and it does not require what I'm going to refer to as uh, that Beastbound keyword going forward, um, which is the phrase I read earlier. Um, So it doesn't require Beastbound, which means it's going to be both a powerful two-glory surge when you're bringing this nemesis, but also be available to you in Championship. And um, this one's worth reading. Their uh, Surge, Duel, score this immediately after an opponent's power step if there are more friendly fighters on objective tokens than enemy fighters on objective tokens, and there are more enemy fighters out of action 
than friendly fighters out of action. So this is a pretty sneaky. Um, this is a pretty sneaky search. If you are playing Nemesis, your t- uh, your opponent might factor this in. If you're playing Championship, you don't have to announce that this isn't your deck. And so if you can just get on more objectives than they uh, are on, and that could even just be one, and you can get just one more of them out of action than you, and again, that could just be one, you could score a, a clean two glory off of Unbeatable Team. So it's a it's an interesting two glory surge option that isn't plot locked. You know, two glory surge that's scorable relatively early is always a reason to kind of sit up and take notice. Agree. Yeah. Um, so some other cards to just kind of call out that I, I believe to be kind of key cards within Beastbound Assault that you would consider. Uh, well trained. Um, this is Beastbound, um, so you're going to need people meeting that criteria, but it allows you a push two. And anytime you hear push two, it's like, oh, hold on. Um, uh, say what? Like, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Exactly. Um, unexpected ally. Uh, this card's really strong. It does not. Um, this is a gambit, and it doesn't actually require the beast bound condition, um, but offers the player a persisting support until a successful attack. Um, the- yeah, this has become more and more a staple of mine, and it's uh, specifically because it's. Uh, like it'll do some uh, support synergies, and then it's going to stay there until you're successful, um, which is which is a big deal. So if like you totally whiff it, then you've got another chance. So good, I, I agree. And along those lines, uh, it dovetails into loyal allies, which is looking for um, dice results, not successes. And so it's looking for uh, a single support or a double support dice result that was valid for you. Um, so you know you had a support or two supports uh, or a cover, you know, what have you uh, to make those dice count in your role. But the role itself didn't need to be valid, um, which I think makes it a strong um, dice based surge um, and isn't beast bound once again. So you can really see that uh, come over to championship uh, and has become a staple for me. And one that we talked about in our um, headsman's curse uh, build. Um, additionally, they have overly protective. Uh, the reason this is worth calling out is because it's a draw two on a beast bound death. So I'm really happy to see that beast bound condition here. Um, but it is really a powerful option for those, uh, bringing beast bound fighters, uh, countless familiars. Uh, the reason I call this out is because I feel like this is this deck's living wall. Um, this allows the player of this upgrade to advance their denizen plan, um, buy two fighters or accumulate denizen upgrades, you know, by a factor of two on a single fighter, um, just with, just with a single card. Uh, and that pairs really nicely with their, in, um, in-house deadly swarm weapon. That's looking to offer you as many dice as it has. Is it dice or damage? Um, as it has, Denizen upgrades on them. Damage. Oh my gosh. I had to look that again. I was like, is it damage? It is. That's that's just so fun. Um, You're like, there's no way it's damage, right? It can't be damage. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, dice would be nuts. Um, but as soon as you can like um, bring the damage up, you know, based on um, that Voltron build there, uh, that's just an element of fun to be had. Um, and... Uh, lastly, uh, I want to call out Ever Hungry Fiend because this is a upgrade 
that um, can only be awarded when you're in enemy territory, but comes with a very unique, we haven't really seen this much caveat of it's awarded if you're, so not in your home territory. So actually no one's territory would qualify here as well. But if you fall back, you know, for any reason to your home territory, it doesn't break itself. And they call that out on the card. Um, I really like that design space. I love the idea of having to cross the line, but not being punished for um, crossing back over. And um, what this offers you is going forward, once you've equipped it, you have uh, an additional support. Yeah, so this uh, affects adjacent attacks. So actually it doesn't even uh, discern range, uh, which is really nice. It adds to its flexibility. Um, You just have to get up close and personal with it, which is always fun and um, kind of creates it. So creates it as a championship pick, but I feel that is kind of a little, an overview of Beastbound Assault as kind of a whole. There are a lot of pieces within Beastbound Assault that you can pull out uh, and put into a championship build, um, which I think is really interesting. If you're looking at a Nemesis build with Beastbound Beast Assault, then you're leaning into the keywords. Uh, and the reason for that is uh, six of the six end phases reference the keywords. Five look for Beastbound, an additional one looks for Denizen, right? So you're not really bringing these into championship unless you're guaranteeing that you already have Beastbound fighters available to you. Um, Nemesis kind of allows you to lean more into that Denizen game plan without sacrificing more powerful options available to you in uh, other universal offerings. Um, And then it has two surges as well that lean into uh, the keywords present with Beastbound. Uh, Whereas in Champs, if you're bringing this, uh, if you're dipping into this, you're doing it because of the surge support. Um, Four of the surges do not um, require Beastbound Assault or Beastbound status, um, which I think is interesting um, that we see that in the surges and not the objectives. Um, And again, allows kind of for that unplot locked dipping, um, as well as some of the key cards I highlighted are just worth considering. So when we're looking at warbands for Beastbound, um, you're again leaning into the keywords here. So like Gnarl Spirit Pack has the flexibility to lean into the beast side of this uh, and work for you. The fact that they can change modes on you. Uh, Black Powder's Buccaneers, they're coming with both minions and um, beasts. And then Exile Dead is an obvious choice. There was a, a beat where it was one of the most powerful pairings out there. Um, because most of that crew is already beasts, um, the zombies themselves, or the reanimated. Um, one warband that you should not pair this deck with <laughs> is Soul Raid. The Skyler's dismay. <laughs> and the reason I'm calling this out is because um, in Harrowdeep and Nether Maze, the fish was a beast. Um in Harrowdeep, they um, brought in, introduced the retroactive keywords. And at that yeah. time, so at the inception of these retroactive keywords, the fish was awarded beast status. Yeah, so this was when they like applied Assassin Brawler, you know, Zinch, Corn keywords to all the different fighters from seasons one, two, and three. Like, I think. Exactly. Yeah, like Beast Grave and back. Dire so, Chasm and back. 
so a crime has occurred uh, unceremoniously as of the... The fish was rude and you know it. <laughs> as of the Narlwood update, the fish is no longer considered a beast, uh, according when, to the Arata when will, documentation. When will Soul Raid finally get a break? I, That's what everyone wants to know. I know. Uh, so I... <laughs> I think they could use it, like... It would be better if they could, but uh, the fish was. A, I, I don't. I don't think it was an intentional change either. But mm. uh, the fish is a source of uh, nastiness. I don't know. I uh, so the reason I discovered this <laughs> is I actually set out to. I was looking at Beastbound Assault. I had my prior knowledge of playing um, Soul Raid during Nether Maze, uh, and I thought to myself, "Oh my gosh! I think the." beast or sorry the fish and the crab having beast status bring enough uh to the stack to make this a solid nemesis pairing for them and i was excited and i put together um my elethane's beast raid uh build (laughs) only to uh thankfully discover before i fielded it that fish no beast (laughs) so uh yeah uh long antidotes aside again fish no beast uh sad (laughs) <laughs> and here we arrive at the thesis statement of this episode. <laughs> so Skyler wants the fish to be a beast. My excuse for this entire episode was to arrive at this exact juncture. Uh, we don't need to discuss the remaining two decks. Uh, time for the outro. <laughs> um, before we move on from Beastbound Assault, um, is there, there any additions you two would like to make as far as nemesis and championship considerations uh, and or warband pairings? Uh, no, I think you got them covered pretty well. Um, I, I think uh, it's a deck that I find myself dipping into a bunch. I've, I've not played a warband that wants it for nemesis, but they exist. Uh, but it's, it's frequently something that I'm including one or two from championship in. Agree. All right. Well, with that, I will pass the ball on to Brian for his last deck dive. All right. I have Seismic Shock, which came to us in the Weird Hollow uh, starter box and reintroduced magic in a big way. Um, Oh, boy. Oh, boy. No plot here. Um, This is just uh, magic tools and uh, strangely hold objective stuff, which is welcome. Uh, It's something I was sorely lacking from uh, Norwood. And in particular, uh, yeah, especially if you hold objective and you have a wizard, just so happened to be in your warband as well. Um, So no plot here. um, But I feel like the plot is you need a wizard. Like, I don't think it um, makes much sense to take this in nemesis if you don't have a wizard um if you don't have a wizard in the warband uh then you are cutting out a lot of the card pool here so it you would have to have an extremely strong faction deck and a really specific reason to take this in nemesis uh and cut out all of the uh magic stuff and magic tools here so i'll jump in there do you feel that one wizard is enough and i'll caveat that with you know does salvage bring enough to that one wizard's potential death to elevate this game plan for a one wizard warband davy how was it with kagras <laughs> like like make you want to quit the game bad <laughs> <laughs> oh boy okay oh boy 
that is a particular uh, bad pick because Zarchia has a propensity to kill herself uh, yeah, with her twice. <laughs> yeah, with her uh, backlash. Um, yeah. So it is particularly punitive. Um, but if you're not going to protect your one wizard, then I do think that the, it's bad. Uh, that one wizard is not enough. Uh, if you castle your wizard and keep them in the backfield, um, then I, it could be worth the risk. Um, but if Board you're really leaning into the win. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but like, for instance, this deck really gets me excited uh, for something like Zarbag's gets um, because they are both hold objective and was have a wizard. Um, Zarbag has uh, level two beginning and end. And so that's, it works well, um, per, but even more so in championship um, because they double down even harder on the hold objective uh, tool set. Um, but big, uh, big card callouts here is you have um, some significant end phase objectives. Uh, claim the prize, three glory end phase. Uh, if your warband holds each objective in one or more territories, including no one's territory and you at least hold two. So you can set this up to hold two and score three glory. Oof. Um, crazy. And I have been loving it. Um, you also have another three glory and face shape the realm. And this is basically supremacy hold three, but one of those three holding objective is a wizard. Uh, so again, if you have more than one wizard, then that's even more, um, uh, assurance for that, but Zarbeck skits. I just got to put Zarbeck way in the back on my home field back objective. It's pretty good. Um, and there's a couple other things. So, like, is it touching the realm? One glory end phase. If your warband holds two or more objectives, one or more friendly wizards are each holding an objective. So, again, if you're already scoring shape the realm, you know, hold three and one of them being a wizard, you also will get touching the realm for just one glory, but you're doing the same thing and scoring four glory among the magic stuff. And not just all the hold objectives, uh, they have burnt out, which is to essentially burn through your, uh, power cards in your hand. And you have not discarded any power cards this round. Then that's a surge for one glory. Uh, that can be really nice, man. I respect it, but I really dislike it. (laughs) Yeah. Burnt out can cause you to just, uh, to get that seed glory, you might uh, not use those power cards at the optimal time. Instead, you just kind of rush uh, to it, which, uh, I mean, it might be worth it. Um, but yeah, it's sometimes, uh, especially in championship, when you have a really powerful or you like really distill down your uh, power deck. And so every card is valuable and powerful to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Nemesis, you might feel a little bit more inclined to burn through some stuff because you might not have super optimal takes. So maybe Burnt Out is even a stronger consideration in Nemesis, which mm-hmm. super easy to say. Um, so hold objective, and uh, there's a bunch of magic stuff here too. So if you're running like Stormsire's Curse Breakers, where they have three uh, wizards, um, you can really lean into it. Even like. Uh, Crimson Court, they got two wizards. Um, you do want to try and bring reliable casters. So if you're just, if, if you're like Crimson Court, they're just one level one casters each. We got two of them. 
So it might not be reliable enough. Um, you know, uh, Domitan, Storm Coven, uh, three wizards there, uh, really reliable. They pair super well with this. Um, but, and then moving on to like gambits and upgrades, uh, you got some really fun spells. I really like the design of some of these spells. Like my particular favorite is Mind Wipe. It actually gives you two options for the spell. You can either choose an option to make an enemy fighter unable to hold objectives until the end of the round. So some strong control play there. Brutal. As well as the other option, which I've basically used every time, is uh, the harder to cast... Uh, needing focus for the result is to move one hex within four hexes or move one feature token within four hexes, one hex uh, roundabout way of describing it. But um, yeah. So either stop them move... from holding or get it to yourself so that you can hold yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Just being yeah. able to, and that's whether or not it's occupied uh, being able to move the feature token, which can be massive uh, control. We started playing in the age of restless prize, uh, and this uh, feels really it, it reminiscent of it. But I think it's a better designed card than restless prize. Yeah, I, I really do like these modular spells. Yeah, um, I think that's a cool spot for them to occupy. Abyssal screaming idols, I think, is also a well designed card. Uh, Gambit on channel. If cast, pick one feature token within three hexes of the caster. Move that feature token one hex. After you have done so, if a fighter is on that feature token, deal one damage to that fighter. So that's a friendly or an enemy fighter. So you can use this as a ping on the enemy, uh, but you're giving them an objective. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. Um, unless that fighter is vulnerable, then it's like that's optimal, I think. Um, but it, you can also use it to secure an objective for yourself. Uh, but yeah, this, at the cost of a ping. I, I like the decision space this card brings to it. This actually made it into my Ping of Fires build for for the reasons you described. Yeah. Um, lo- love cards with options. Um, localized Quake, also fun. Uh, yeah. On to some upgrades. Um, they have some fun ones here. I really like... Uh, I didn't use it a whole bunch, but I kept it in my uh, card pool for the longest time because of just the utility of it. Is it Quintux Unseen Hand? Ah. So it's a flick spell action. Uh, basically, you pick uh, a enemy fighter within six hexes of the caster, and the chosen fighter uh, push the chosen fighter one hex or stagger the chosen fighter if the casting roll included one or more crits do both uh range six control it's a fun like manipulating ability um yes and that's a great i can't think action. i can't think of anything that has a uh, greater range than that with a range demarcation right outside of like yeah. um fully open yeah 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 an unlimited range kind right. of thing yeah yeah um yeah, so in Nemesis, um, if you don't have a wizard, I don't think it's a long consideration what, what you, process. What are you even doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless, like I said, you have a really strong infection card pool and you just really want some of that hold objective tech. Um, 
like for instance, Zarbag Skits, one of my favorites, um, doesn't ha- they have a honestly pretty poor faction deck, so I wouldn't uh, necessarily. I think it would be a strong pairing because you'd be just pulling so much from Seismic Shock and then you're relying even more on Zarbag and just puts an even bigger target on Zarbag. Um, but in Champion, uh, is, is any other Nemesis uh, pairing considerations? You, well, you know, the... I'm, biased, I'm biased as heck on this one. <laughs> um, I, I really like what you've done with Zarbag, um, you know, in Championship right like all of a sudden he becomes a key target uh otherwise well, me, he's I'll, threatening let me gush in championship about that but like nemesis yeah um all right um he, i guess in nemesis uh what hasn't been mentioned is just our old three wizard war band right storm sires curse breakers yeah and that is something that we didn't see over the course of our eight week league one of the champion or war bands that didn't make the unique war band count make an appearance yeah um, I kind of looked affectionately at the nine warbands that didn't make it, Iron Soul, Condemners included. Um, but, you know, I'd be curious to see what Storm Sires could do here. I think that if you're looking at a Nemesis pairing for them, I mean, th- this is this is your number one choice. You, you start here and consider other options secondarily. Yeah, absolutely. Davey? No, I think you guys have uh, more or less covered it there. I, I don't know that I have any extra add. Yeah, for the longest time, we kind of wizards as a status went under the radar ever since I think Beastgrave rotated, Nightfall rotated out. Yeah, and I think Beastgrave had a some a couple other pieces. Well, yeah, because uh, uh, since then, yeah. Right. When it was Night Vault and Beast Grave, you still had plenty of magic. And once it went to Beast Grave, Dire Chasm were the two, then all of a sudden Wizards really, like there was still a little bit. And then once it was Dire Chasm, Olgu, it was gone. Yeah, they've yeah. been drip fed, you know, an upgrade or a spell gambit, you know, here or there. But when right. they're drip fed like that, it doesn't build a strong enough case, you know, for them. And right. those cards that have been trip fed uh, were waiting for seismic shock. Yeah, yeah, and seismic shock. Yeah. Oh um, right, I always, I always do that. You're saying like a seizure. <laughs> I, it's uh, one of those particular to me things I need to break. Um, but uh, yeah, because like a lot of magic was just kind of like in faction, and there might be like a interesting spell, and you're like, oh right, spells and. Oh, they have Crimson Court has two wizards. Oh, look at that! Um, yeah, so I mean, we I'm we sure uh, I'm overlooking. We threw it out for a while on the podcast. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a uh, magic associated uh, rivals deck? And then we got it. So yeah, yeah, and we had such a strong desire for it. We had a whole trash fire tournament for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The, that drip fed spell um, avenue was. <laughs> trash fire material before seismic shock came in and was like i'll take you in don't worry (laughs) yeah uh so then bumping it up to championship i think this uh just is such the injection of hold objective tech that i had been lacking in narwood um so claim the prize super strong i think it's uh really like a strong meta consideration when you're just matching up with your opponent um, if you think that they have any inclination towards hold objective, you're going to have to be careful 
about where you place objectives if you need to uh, flood their side. If you're trying to score it two, three glory end phases, uh, not something you just casually <laughs> overlook or uh, be like, hey, I'll be fine. Um, me personally in championship, uh, if you're going hard into hold objective, um, so any of those swarm war bands that have an interest, um, claim the prize three glory end phase, shape the realm three glory end phase, supremacy three glory end phase, uh, it's powerful yeah. for essentially doing the same thing. Claim the prize's arrival on plot locked absolutely gave swarm um, the boon that they needed to get online and be meta. Um, competitive yeah and uh, i even found that um because they they do similar things but there's kind of different conditions so sometimes i might get thwarted from uh shape the realm if my wizard gets killed but i can still score supremacy and then claim the prize off that if i lose that third objective you might still claim uh score claim the prize uh so there's kind of some redundancy slash contingencies there yeah. um and, sh- and then shape the realm is so interesting in the fact that it gives you a key target when you're opposing that game plan to take that card out of play with, right? If you can manipulate yeah. the um, wizard's positioning or if you can take them out of the game and all of a sudden, you know, in a best of three, once you know it's there, um, that becomes a goal. But when you're sitting down to a game of championship, if you notice that there's a wizard across the table, you know, um, just think to yourself, you know, is this a warband that would dip into shape the realm? Do I need to worry about that right now? Because it's three points. So it's, it's worth that, that mental uh, quick check. It, also within this deck is places of power and places of power is um, almost a reprint um, uh, exactly of cryptic clues. Uh, it actually becomes a more flexible cryptic clues because cryptic clues existed prior to snare hexes. Uh, so if you're looking at cryptic clues, and, you know, reach for places of power first because uh, it has more flexibility, but it allows you to double down uh, on it. And I think that is um, worthwhile as well, given that it only requires two surviving friendly fighters to to strive for those those two cards. Yeah. And uh, new boards in Weird Hollow have plenty of uh, hazard hexes on them. Absolutely. Well, I think we've spent... Uh, uh, a good venture on Seismic Shock here. Uh, any additional warbands that you would like to um, denote as uh, recommended uh, f- to look at for a Seismic Shock pairing here? The Grimwatch leader isn't a wizard, right? <laughs> no, he no, is not. he is not. Also, I just flipped back to Seismic. I need to work on it. I don't know why. Yeah. It's a... It's a, it's a it's one of the difficult ones for me. I see the E and I yeah. just immediately lean into it. Heard it wrong once, can't, can't escape it. If you've got a wizard in any sort of hold tech, there's tons of uh, hold tech cards that I've just... I I got into this game with Zarbag Skits and Hold Objective Age of Beastgrave. Uh, so there's a lot of nostalgia here for me. Um, if you've got a wizard in your warband and you have any inclination towards Hold Objective, powerful. I agree. Um, All right. Well, uh, without further ado, we're going to pass it over to Davey to take us home. What is your final deck? 
Yeah, the only Rivals deck we haven't talked about is the Toxic Terrors. And this is, on its surface, it is a poison-oriented deck. Um, it has uh, poison gambits and poison upgrades. Uh, but if you are looking at it for championship, you are often looking at it because it has a couple of really powerful leader-focused objectives. Um, and that makes it kind of an interesting deck that is... Uh, fairly different if you're taking in Nemesis versus if you're just dipping into it for championship. Uh, <clears throat> in Nemesis, uh, you if you don't have a deep uh, pool of upgrades to go through, you are really leaning to the poison upgrades. And there's a lot of objectives. Like it's it's a thing. Like the more you lean into it, the more objectives you're taking that trigger off of those, and the more gambits. Like it, it is the more you lean into this deck, the more it's like a, a upward or you know downward spiral depending on how you want to look at it um but uh some of the poisons unlike the poisons we saw back in the beast grave era um don't necessarily require you to be adjacent uh and they aren't necessarily doing damage they're doing a lot of control based things uh, and so for that reason i kind of highlighted freezing venom and ill prepared which can really uh lock out a particular fighter they can say, hey, like you're not going to make a super action or here's a move token. Not as crippling as it used to be, uh, but still important if you're saying like, I don't want that fighter to charge. Um, uh, and so those cards in particular, like uh, inform the the control aspect of it. And then uh, Carve a Path and Superiority Confirmed are a surge and end phase, uh, respectively. The Carve a Path is like an interesting um, surge that says like, did your leader make an attack uh, or did your leader make two attacks? One of which was successful in enemy territory. Uh, now it's worth two, a two glory surge. Again, like we always say, it's going to make you pay attention. Um, that uh, particular war bands are really going to capitalize on that. Uh, superiority confirmed needs a leader to be alive and four wounds worth of enemy fighters to be dead. Uh, often that could just be one. So, I think that kind of informs a lot of where you're going to reach for this, uh, where you're going to reach for this deck. So like I said, Nemesis, you, you're probably going to lean a lot more on the, the poison gambits and upgrade situation. Um, for me, that ended up being, I, I think I built a pretty good Ripa's uh, off of this. And that's some because Ripa's, he's got some great impaction stuff that they can lean on. Uh, some because they like stacking upgrades on a particular fighter or spreading them around. They already are doing that. And some of the uh, objectives in this deck are asking you to do that. Um, and so that kind of like doubles down on what you're already trying to do. And with a three fighter that is relatively fast, uh, can kind of bring a lot of damage to bear on one spot. If you can use some of those control things, like again, the freezing venom and ill prepared, and even cycle it. If you get the, um, the particular upgrade that lets you redraw your uh, discarded gambits, uh, you can really say like my entire warband is going to fight one very small part of your warband uh, and uh, capitalize on that. Um, so I think uh, Ripa's Ripa's like this deck in Nemesis and of course in Champs as well, um, particularly because they have a leader that can attack uh, multiple times and often get at least one successful off, and then you you can really spike your um, your glory early. Uh, right off the gate. Um, we mentioned Domitans. Uh, Domitans has the advantage of those two upgrades we mentioned. 
that uh, <clears throat> that care about a leader. Domitans, unless Domitans is wiped out, Domitans has a leader on the board, and that uh, that is always like the failing point of any uh, any objective which can't be salvaged, like uh, gambits and upgrades. Uh, but any objective that needs you to have a leader out uh, is dead if your leader is dead. Um, but Domitans never has that. Uh, being the case unless you're wiped out, in which case you're probably losing already. So um, I think that uh, I think those two warbands really like this. If you are leaning into the poison side of things, uh, the I think I marked it as terror fish. Uh, um, the uh, soul raid are is the warband. Uh, Skyler, correct me if I'm wrong. They have two infaction poisons. Yes, they do. Yeah, uh, they're the only warband with two infaction poisons. Uh, they have a nice delivery system if you needed to be adjacent, which is actually not the case for uh, pretty much all this. Um, but um, the fish, the fish also likes uh, lurking weight. Is that the one? Um, it's just, uh, do you have a fighter with no move tokens in enemy territory? Like the fish is like, yeah, that's me. It sounds like me. Um, so uh, that's just a one glory, but uh, easily scored, and you know, a, a very very reliable one glory is is uh, something that you'd grab. So, uh, those are the ones I lean towards with this one. Uh, and I feel like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but this is one of the ones that, uh, the, the nemesis version of this looks very, very different from the championship version of this. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on pairings or highlight cards. Yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. Um, jumping into highlight, yeah, highlight cards and, uh, the terror fish actually, uh, specifically, uh, by the way, fantastic name. <laughs> um, they have, so not just one, um, flex up to two glory surge, but two with, uh, taking advantage. Um, that's a card that states here that there are at least as many friendly fighters in enemy territory as there are enemy fighters in that territory. And what's notable about that is that it says at least, and that mm. um, is significant because you're not having to overcome the number uh, in the home territory that you're invading, but you're just having to match it. Uh, and with the terror fish, that is pretty doable. You can pop the fish over, get the uh, dune claw over with a few um, pushes available to him just through the other activations that you're performing on your other three fighters and what this awards is an additional glory point if you score this objective in the first round so a particularly strong surge for them potentially uh it's one of those where if you see it in your opening hand you set up to make sure that you can uh get over the line and do that with them so uh, same would be available to something like the the cunning crew mm, yep yep um and then uh, no safe. Nope. Sorry. No safe ground is, is, is a great card by them, but I wanted to make it. Uh, yeah, no, no safe ground is currently a staple. Uh, it's a great card. Uh, but, uh, keep the forest at bay is another, uh, push up to two fighter option, uh, that I have found mild success with. Uh, it's one of those cards where I, in the current meta, I actually feel it is better earlier in the game than later because, a lot of the times you're one of the two players is invading the other player's territory, right? And so there might not be an enemy fighter in enemy territory to select. Um, but if you have a feeling that that is going to be present for you throughout the course of the game or be worthwhile, including early, hoping for early and being okay with kind of being a bum card later, uh, then, um, 
being able to push two fighters up to one is is always just a strong consideration. Yeah, uh, I I think that's uh, those are good highlights, um, and I'm always a fan of the pushes. Brian, you got anything to throw in on the toxic terrors here? Uh, just my take on toxic terrors is with all the poison tech, it's a little reminiscent of Daring Delvers, but I'd say that as though toxic terrors is an improvement. Um, there mm. is a section of the card pool that is, um, oh, what was it? It, it was uh, Dire Chasm when we had like a bunch of cards that dealt with hunger, a bunch of cards that dealt with uh, uh, Hunter and Quarry. It's kind of like that in the sense that a lot of that card pool is kind of uh, segmented off because it really plays with itself and that with that keyword and the more of those keyword cards you bring uh, the more it will reward you but otherwise the rest of the deck you look at um, I think it's just kind of like a cherry pick the um, control cards that you really want out of this um, that's yeah. where I'm talking about it's like Daring Delvers in that if you're going to forego the explorer mechanic you cherry pick the other things out uh, or you're bringing the ping, ping pack um, with Toxic Terrors, you either bring the Toxic Pack and a couple of the other control cards, or you're really like, it feels like you, with Toxic Terrors, you almost supplant the faction deck because there is so much Toxic tech. Um, so it, it can almost overwhelm the faction deck, which for some factions, they have really poor faction decks. So uh, all yeah. of this to say, some, I think some factions are like, go ahead, <laughs> yeah, go right ahead. Please do. Um, like just thematically, I've always been curious how, uh, a rivals worm spat where you just replace their faction deck with toxic terrors would go in a rivals event. Yeah. We're checking out their, their, uh, in faction rivals is notoriously terrible. So yeah, can't be worse. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I do like the deck. I think it's an improvement upon like my complaints about Daring Delvers. Um, and my personal favorite, No Safe Ground, just uh, push tech to help secure. I just There's a couple of those other control cards I really consider bringing in, but that was the most utility, being able to push a friendly or an enemy fighter really strong. Yeah. You know, I, I really like that you brought up Hunger as well. I think it's a valid touchstone here, you know, looking at kind of the history of the game and looking at these decks independently. Uh, Hunger was this mechanic that did not stand on its own, right? But yeah. w- but was present on a ton of cards. And if you weren't the Crimson Court, you weren't picking them up. They were almost, you know, um, exclusive to to the Crimson Court. They were, you know, additional cards for their consideration. But, but even then... Um, not all of them were worth their while either. Whereas, you know, here we have all of these focused ideas, focused keywords, you know, whether that be Beastbound, Void Cursed, uh, even Exploration, um, you know, and the Poisons, you know, here, like they all find their place uh, at least within themselves. Uh, and that's not something Hunger was, was able to accomplish. Yeah, it just felt like hunger didn't reward you for investing in hunger. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that wraps uh, our adventure through the nine decks and covering, you know, uh, again, an overview of each deck where we kind of think that each deck can be factored into Nemesis and Championship builds as well as what Orbans uh, you might consider bringing with each deck. 
before we move on from our main topic and close it out, are there any additional notes that you two would like to bring up? Anything that you kind of felt was missed uh, as we tackle the decks that you wanted to circle back on? No, I, I think that was a incredibly like broad topic to cover. And, and so uh, obviously we couldn't get into every single nuance here, but uh, I think it's a good, I, I hope uh, people find it as a good resource, uh, particularly for new players who are trying to figure out what their next thing is like, what's how, how am I going to start building out from the, uh, the basics that I have? One of the main things to consider here, I think is the opportunity costs. Um, and it can take some time to evaluate the strengths and pairings of each of these things. And that's what we were trying to help people along with. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. I think opportunity cost is a uh, really cool way to wrap that, that up. Uh, Cause when you're in nemesis, you know, you're only getting access to one of these. Uh, so you're foregoing the rest. And when you're in championship, uh, the plot lock comes in as your opportunity cost and you're only getting you know, access to one of those four. So again, foregoing the other three. And that's just where we are at with the deck offerings today, right? With nine options available to us. And, you know, the future I think looks really bright here. Um, I'm excited to see what these decks look like next season uh, across that entire realm where we'll have two core boxes because that means we'll be in a place where we've had four core boxes that all... Uh, and they're following seasons that all have the same picture, that all contribute to this Universal Rivals deck landscape um, that was kind of really carved out with Gnarlwood. Um, as we've kind of discussed, you know, Illusory Might and the deck, or Illusory Mites, Deadly Depths, and even Silent Menace, you know, don't quite live within the. This is uh, a nemesis-designed consideration, a self-contained designed consideration. Right. So, well, I think uh, one of the things they had is with the entire what what used to be the entirety of the universal card pool is it was hard to balance it for all five hundred cards in in a given season, or roughly that. Um, and then they added in keywords like hunger, which some you know fell flat because some of those things just kind of like effectively plot locked the card uh, but now with gnarlwood then you had much uh you really threw down some solid wall bar- uh, barrier walls because pre- previously we might take a hunger card it applies the hunger condition or uh tokens and whatever but you just ignore it um that felt kind of awkward um but now with gnarlwood it really threw down walls of like plot cards and sectioned it off and initially it was very jarring for us um but i think we now have uh i think i think the opportunity costs make for a really interesting balancing dynamic at the championship level and in nemesis um i agree and quick question is of these nine four are plot locked do you think that's a good balance should there be more should there be less oh love that question uh davy i'm gonna let you tackle that first. Uh, I think it feels pretty good to me. I think you want a roughly 50, 50. Um, and I think this is something we're still figuring out because, uh, the, the whole idea of a plot lock thing is still relatively new to us. Um, and, uh, the idea of like this, uh, nemesis format, you know, cause uh, plot lock is, is purely a championship question, but I think, um, I think, you know, seeing, 
uh, how both Nemesis and Championship develop as you uh, add more of these decks and decide which of them are plot locked or, or not uh, is is uh, going to be a very important part of each release going forward. But it, it feels pretty good to me. Like I, I feel like you have meaningful decisions to make versus uh, which plot lock deck you're taking. And like once you've taken that plot lock thing, it feels like there are still uh, enough uh, other choices. Now, as Ulgu rotates out, uh, it'll be interesting to see if that still feels the way that uh, still feels like that. I would agree. I would agree. I have no notes, uh, additional notes to add there. On that note, that wraps up our main topic with one exception. Um, Before we exit, I would like to go over uh, very briefly which one is your favorite and you can give a brief here's why or you can leave it at you know (laughs) this is my favorite um and to to start us off with that i'm actually going to um kick off with the favorites of phil and josh and then pass the torch to davy and brian jump back and give my uh favorite here so the favorites uh of our co-hosts that or that weren't on the episode today include um, Daring Delvers for Phil. And I, w- I believe it has a lot to do with the flexibility that the deck has to offer. Um, but uh, I know he's found Starblood Stalker builds yeah. that have made it work as well as the Storm Coven. So, yeah, that was his Adepticon deck with yeah. uh, Starblood. Yep, absolutely. Um, and then uh, over from Josh, uh, Josh shared his favorite is Fearsome Fortress. Um, the one he had he had wishes here. Uh, favorite, yes, Fearsome Fortress. Uh, the one he wished he had more time with uh, prior to this episode, Void Cursed, and the one he wished would stop tripping over itself, Toxic <laughs> Terrors. Oh, all right, interesting. <laughs> Um, so maybe he he tries to dip into what's there, um, but uh, doesn't dip into it enough to kind of satisfy uh, the self-contained offerings uh, that are there and therefore, therefore kind of trips over itself. Um, so uh, what are your favorite uh, Universal Rivals decks? Uh, I'll go first. I am going to pick Void Cursed, and I don't have a lot of reps with this, but I'm going to pick it just because it tells a story within itself. And, uh, you know, truth be told, we are part of a larger sort of narrative network, and I still have like a little bit of a sweet spot for that. Um, so uh, it's such a weird and such a different deck. Uh, I think it's, like you said, Skylar, I think it's great that it's plot locked, uh, but that's um, that's where I go. Um and that's not out of any like decision based on its power level or anything. I just like it. That's that's awesome. I love that that deck reading it one through thirty-two uh, from a flavor standpoint also you know tells its own story. Yeah. <laughs> yep, totally. All right, Brian, uh, what is your favorite? I've had a lot of fun with Fearsome Fortress. Um I it's a strong contender, but I, the nostalgia is winning out for me. It's seismic shock. Um, mm-hmm. br- like bringing back magic was so, so uh, revitalizing for the community. And on top of that, it had a bunch of hold objective stuff, which is nostalgic for me. Love it. That feels like such a good pick for you. And 
it's nice that you didn't pick Fearsome Fortress because that is my favorite. And that would have been three people (laughs) picking Fearsome Fortress. Um, I really love the the offerings there when it comes to both the flexibility of something like Conquered Domain. I just find that to be such a fascinating card um, because it can be a guaranteed one for you or you can you know set it up to be more. I really like that design space. Uh, Earthworks and Bolt Sortie are surges after my heart uh, with them not require with them being very reliable uh, and being something that specific war bands can really capitalize on um, far easier than others. And then um, with uh, Walking Wall, oh, I called it Living Wall earlier. Walking Wall, um, it was kind of like the first card in that, like, I'm here for this deck design space. And I love it. And it's actually why I had to bring up uh, the Beastbound Assault equivalent in uh, Countless Familiars. So mm-hmm. uh, for all of those reasons and my uh, mission statement or, or hill I'm dying on with it being the best pairing for Mad Mob, one of my favorites, um, it, it's solidly my favorite Universal Rivals deck right now. Fair. All right. And with that, we'll call it a wrap. We have been What the Hacks, and you can reach us at WTHCast.com on Twitter uh, or email us at whatthehexcast at gmail.com. We do appreciate feedback in both avenues. We definitely uh, read and take a look and respond to both avenues. So happy to hear from you. You can also check us out on our website, themortalrealms.com. That's the greater network that we're a part of, as well as Uh, find a link on that site to our discords. Happy to have you there and talk with you as part of the community that we've built there. Coming up, uh, we're really hoping to be able to talk about the Plague Pack sometime soon. There's no known drop date for those, um, but they are front of mind for us. Additionally, we have the Q3 Madtown Throwdown coming up. Uh, That will be championship. And as a reminder, again, that is Sunday, August 13th. Happy to have you out if you can make it. Um, Noble Night Games. At Noble Night Games uh, in Fitchburg, Wisconsin. And we're looking forward to covering that for our listeners in full uh, after we wrap that. Additionally, we have a flavor text quiz for you. Are you two ready? (laughs) Can't get more ready is is the honest thing I can say. So, <laughs> excellent! I'm so happy to see you on the other side of this script, Davy. Here we go. So, your card is a unit from a Universal Rivals deck. Okay. And the flavor text is: To establish a foothold under the Gnarlwood takes immense power. Hmm. All right, so I'm going to say this feels seismic shocky. Is that correct? It said Narwood. Oh, Narwood. Underground Fortress? This is not Underground Fortress, and you are correct to steer towards Narwood. Conquered Domain. Away from Weir of Hollow. This is not Conquered Domain. It's mm. two from Brian. One more, and I'm going to strike you out. Davey, <laughs> you got any? Uh, it's going to be from Fearsome Fortress. It does feel pretty uh, stockpile. No. So, uh, 
uh, to toss in a guess before we close out the flavor text quiz. Um, is it attributed to anybody? This is a personal favorite. How well do you know me? <laughs> uh, personal favorite. Tremendous power. Um, to establish hmm. a foothold under the Narwood takes immense power. Hmm. So I know he likes Fearsome Fortress, but... It's not Walking Wall, is it? Oh, I love these guesses. Brian, you struck <laughs> out. Uh, I, I, I'm going to, uh, let's go with, uh, I already said stockpile and that's a, that's a no. Um, is it just underground fortress? Uh, um, I already said that. I've led you both. Well, as, damn. I've led you both astray. Um, okay. it does not live within, uh, fearsome fortress. It is zone of control. Oh, Rude. yep. Rude. That works. Yep. And, uh, All right. One of the reasons um, <clears throat> this is the flavor text quiz is again a personal favorite of mine. Uh, but um, for the listeners out there who were sharply paying attention, I mentioned that there were a few things I wanted to point out regarding this card, but I really kind of stopped and uh, mm. let it go. Um, and that was so that I could mention here after bringing is he it fitting up. in more content at the end bum, of the show. Bum, bum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Again, this is what you get with Skylar's at the steering wheel. Yeah, he was going to cut it. <laughs> we, we get already the longest episode we've ever had. Carry on. <laughs> uh, this is um, one, one of the crown jewels, or sorry, this is the crown jewel um, in my Miar, uh, Miari's purifiers build these days. Um, and the reason for that, uh, and the reasons I didn't bring up earlier when I was breaking this card down, uh, is that it allows the reason he's, and the reasons he's not going to bring up anymore. <laughs> no, I mean I'll 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 share my You're done with it. I'll share my secrets here real quick. Um, is that uh, it allows your fighters to uh, remain in position uh, whether they're you know still on starting hexes um, in front of you know dangerous things like a lethal or they're on the feature tokens that you need them on. But for the Miari specifically, the reason this ends up being a gemstone for them is because it brings them up from dodge to on guard, right? So re they really feel that full benefit and they inspire off of uh, full successes in, you know, any sort of defense attack or, you know, with Miari spell, spell roll. So this cranks up their ability to inspire off their defense. Um, mm. So it's just a, a fun shout out. I wanted to, to bring to, you know, my first episode uh, sure. as a, uh, the one at the wheel. Yeah, Fair enough. Save, saved the episode there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bring us home. With that, we only have one more task item, and that is our recommended listening. As you go out from this episode and discover new pairings and experiment with uh, new Universal Rivals decks that maybe you didn't consider before, uh, the odds are that you make, might make something special. The odds are that you might make something terrible. Uh, and our recommended listening is Odds Are uh, by Bare Naked Ladies. Um, and what's personal favorite? Important to remember is that at least you got out there, deck built, and tried it out. Um, and so the odds are that you probably won a little bit there personally. <laughs> Fair enough. And with that, I've been Skyler. I've been Davey. I've been Brian.
I can do this. Ready? Yeah. No pressure. And with that? <laughs> oh, oh, dear. <laughs> so close. Tripped over my tongue on the word that. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> a T followed by an H. Ooh. Yeah. Um, okay. And with that, being GW and um, jump WH. Uh, wait, no. Yeah, WH. <laughs> there we go. Um, apparently, uh, words are hard. Letters are harder out loud. <laughs> Here we go. Um, During a lot. Yeah. All right, Perfect. Cool. All right, be back you're in a second. Right, so while you're here, or are you running to the restroom too? Just me. Cool. Hello, everyone. And Davey. How's editing going? I hope it's been well. I hope it's going well. I, I know Skyler's made it hard. I know. I know. I know. I know. Don't take it out on him. It's okay. He'll get better eventually. And to the listeners. What's up? How's the painting going? Slay the gray. Soundbite. In my defense, I'm wholly lacking on sleep. <laughs>